And in case you're curious, Earnshaw, these are my uh, pink stripe party pajamas. Like, I wish there was video <laughs> for this particular cast because I feel like people would really appreciate it. It goes, it, you know, it, it's themed. It's well themed. <laughs> Welcome to the fifth episode of the Booze Reviews Podcast. I am Miliardo, and with me here tonight is my simpatico brother from another mother, my friend since freshman year, dare I say it, my soulmate, Earnshaw! Hello. <laughs> What's up, Earnshaw? How's it going? Now, of course, that is a quote from Serendipity, the movie we're doing tonight. What is your, uh, what is your connection to Serendipity? Um... <sighs> You know, I, I, I want to put it to you first because you chose – this was your choice. And, right. And my first question was why did you select this movie? So I'd really, I'd really like you to answer that first and then I'll, I'll take a shot at, at what it means to me or what my connection was to it. Sure. So what made you choose this? Part of wanting to do this movie on the show was I wanted to kind of run this filter through your brain and see how, what you came up with too. Because I know you, you, you're, I value your analysis, and I was curious what you'd come up with on this movie. So that, that was definitely probably part of it. Okay. Um, there have been movies where um, I will go through a spell where I watch that movie over and over and over and over, and I can do that, and it's okay. And mo- there aren't a lot of movies that that works for. Um, Lord of the Rings was always one of those movies. Randomly, when I was a kid, I would do that with uh, uh, A New Hope. With the original Star Wars uh, movie, I could literally just watch back then rewinding the tape, literally yeah, rewind right. the tape over and over and over again. Um, oh, so anyone that's under 20, probably there was a tape where you could buy a special device that would rewind VHS tapes faster. Did you ever have one of those? I didn't. I didn't. Because <laughs> it was always a pain in the ass to have to wait for the tape to rewind. Yeah. They made this specific device to so just be like, and it would be done and good to go. Some people amazing. just don't know about watching VHSs and having to record them. <laughs> That's right. Be kind, please rewind stickers yeah. on the cassette or cases that you would take back to the store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, this was one of those movies for me. I was, I mean, this was coming out when we were uh, towards the end of our high school career. 2001 the movie came out. Um, and I don't know. I always, I always like rom-coms. I like Christmas movies. And I like movies that I can play in the background while I'm doing other things. Like, um, maybe I'm working on one of meticulously on some random nerd collection that I'm, that I'm going through at the time. Or, uh, maybe I'm even playing, uh, GameCube on a different screen and having this, you know, on the computer or something next to it and just ha- listening to it in the background. And this was always one of those movies. And, um, yeah, I mean, just feel good Christmas movie, uh, love story. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know that I could say that it was like I picked it out of the herd as much as just right place, right time. This movie okay. hit my uh, hit my reel and got and, and found a little little niche. 
Yeah, I was I was definitely intrigued, and and so I wanted to know because it is a departure from what we've done so far, at least, or even things that we have gone to the movies and seen together. It seems when mm-hmm. I look back and think about things that that you and I, with groups of people or or whatever. Um, saw in theaters you know it was like a lot of genre fare so obviously we did lord of the rings but you know we saw sort of sci-fi things together or fantasy um i don't know that we went to the theaters and saw a lot of romantic comedies um together with our group of friends or our girlfriends at the time um i mean individually separately yeah i saw this movie in theaters as well um in a date situation. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah. I, I think my first I- entrance to this movie was a date. Yeah, for sure. Did you see this movie in theaters? That was no. one of my other questions. No, okay. no, no, I did not. I did not. I, a girl I was hanging out with at the time wanted to go see this. So we did. Um, so I did, I did, I did see there this movie go. in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was curious. I, I was curious. I was intrigued by your selection because I think it is, sort of a step outside from maybe what um, I would think that not necessarily that we were going to cover on, on booze reviews because I think booze reviews is open to whatever, but just, just different. I don't, we don't maybe not talking a lot about romantic comedies between ourselves, like over right. the years. So True. Um, yeah, I just, we're, we're tearing down walls, Earnshaw. We are yes, tearing we down are. walls. We are. <laughs> and I told you that I found a special uh, whiskey for tonight, right? You did. I went looking for a whiskey, and I'm going to do this from now on, not to get anything crazy, because you can get, like, bottom shelf stuff. They have all, all kinds of craft whiskeys nowadays that have all kinds of funky names. But I found a scotch that was called Serendipity, right? So I, I saw, I was like, is there any possible way to get this? And there's just, it's just not, partly because of where I live and partly because of, um, well, where I live being not scotch country in a country that is not scotch country. But... What I did find was there was another company that made a couple of uh, bourbons or a couple of scotches called um, Destiny and Superstition. Okay. I couldn't get my hands on a Destiny, but I did get my hands on a Superstition. Very nice. Which is kind of in the spirit of the night. I have not tried this before. I haven't even tried this distiller before. Um, Distillery before. It looks like you haven't even opened that bottle yet. Nope. I'm saving it. Saving it for tonight. Here we so go. I have no idea. This could be this could be total swill, and uh, I'm still gonna drink from it. We need a we need an immediate reaction and an honest opinion of this stuff <laughs> of Jura uh, superstition. I like it. Not a favorite, but I like it. Okay. I won't bore you with all the with all the uh, tasting notes. Uh, I, I I at least <laughs> wanted to know like whether it was gonna be passable or not. So you're you're taking a second sip. So that looks like a good sign. I mean, you know how I am about bourbon. I'm still trying to figure out what scotch is and what it means to me. But I like it so far. This works. All right, man. You ready to get started? Yeah. I have questions. Oh, and one more thing I wanted to tell you. I did I did tell you that I spent more time on this movie than any other movie that we've done. Now, let me explain. That's not because this movie deserves that much attention. That's not what happened. Uh, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is uh, we did our last recording, and actually, um, t- like October 18th, somewhere around there, right before Halloween, we did a recording. I blew up my knee October 23rd, right? Um, and so we finished that episode, got it out, and I had to do physical therapy, which involved a lot of like uh, leg lifts and T 
TV was perfect for that because you're facing one direction. You're doing this mindless stuff for like an hour a day. And every single day for like a month and a half, I watched Serendipity. <laughs> it started out like it started out. I was watching uh, West Wing. Like like from beginning to end? From or... beginning to end. Wow. You weren't you weren't kidding a minute ago. You really I, like it I does just like kidding. a background movie that plays yeah. or something that you could just go back to. Yep. It's warm. I mean, it it gives a good feeling like it's, you know, you're going to walk away from watching this movie and feeling good, Mm -hmm. a pleasant. um, Yeah. Warm, warm is an adjective I I would go back to, I think. So that makes sense. But yeah, I nitpicked the hell out of this movie and it probably didn't deserve it. But here we are. I probably have watched it like 20 times. Uh, Been a while. I haven't done it in several months. But yeah. There was a while there where I was doing it every day because West Wing wow. got pulled from Netflix. So, you know, what am I going to do? Well, let's do some questions. What, are we going to get a room? I'm kidding. But I, I want to know you. More. I'll start off the questions. This starts off very early in the movie. I have a lot of questions about the elevators. Okay. Um, There's a fat guy in a Christmas sweater and a kid in a devil costume. And it's Christmas time. What the hell is going on? Just like, what is the what is the backstory on that duo? Uh, good question. <laughs> Where did they come from? Where are they going? The fuck are they doing? In terms of it making sense with what's actually happening, like weather wise or season wise in the story, I don't think it does. I I took that, and this is something that I think I've only thought about this time because I knew we were going to talk about it and maybe analyze it. I don't know that I've ever gone on deep, gone deep on serendipity before. I've seen it <laughs> several times as well, but never yeah. really thought about it. But so I took that to mean um, because the movie's playing a lot with like themes of I don't know fate and chance and the universe, uh, a really obvious and direct. Um, like negative universal influence was like mm. shown through the kid wearing a devil costume. So Sarah, Kate Beckinsale's character believing in like fate or the universe or um, destiny, um, coincidence, all these things, th- those feel like big sort of, I don't know, like ideas. Uh, yeah. Not something concrete. And so like yeah. the the force of evil, I think the devil costume that it just, they did it for that reason alone. No, making no sense to anything <laughs> else. Cause you're right. It's Christmas time. Uh, yeah. and, and, it, and everyone else is sort of in a sweater or a jacket or something. And this kid's got like sort of a devil onesie on. Uh, so that was my take on that. I made a note about that actually. <laughs> yeah. Because I just, that was interesting to me. I'd never thought about it before. And then I thought they're playing with all these, these things. Um, Greater forces, yeah. things you can't reach out and touch, and evil is one of those. Right, uh, and the kids wearing a, a devil costume to personify that. So that I think that's what they were doing. They were trying to be kind of cute, right? With yeah, the, with the devil costume. Yeah, and I honestly never even analyzed it. Beyond, I get what you're saying, but I never even thought to look beyond the like literal plot of like where the fuck was this dad taking this boy? Is there like a Christmas Halloween party? No, that makes sense. If it was something that that's a very over the head type uh, symbol for them to throw at you. I'm I'm thinking that has to be it because you're right. Otherwise, it would make no sense whatsoever. (laughs) I also didn't know if it was like a nod to I don't know if you've ever seen Problem Child, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but but he wears a devil costume um, in that movie. 
Problem Child 1 or Problem Child 2, I don't know, I can't remember which one, but there's a devil costume for the kid in, in that movie. So I didn't know also if it was just kind of like a cool little visual nod. I'm not saying the kids look exactly alike, but there's some similarities there, um, but especially with the costume and stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think more specifically, it, it's playing on that idea of, of um, the force of evil. So like Sarah's relying on all these good forces to bring them together. But here's a rep- representation of like a negative uh, elemental force, if you will, that's keeping them apart. Yeah. I stalked the devil kid on IMDb trying to figure out more about him. Uh, he oh, wow. A, he has a very short IMDb. Um, <laughs> but he had, he had one other part where he was a main in it. And that was that was all I saw. But. I also like associated with that same elevator. Just I'll slide this one in there. So all these people are getting on this elevator as he's going up, and then it comes to the bottom, and 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 no one's there. They <laughs> he's the only one to get out of the elevator. They had so, all gotten off on their stops, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's but I that was the lobby, that. right? So is the presumption yeah. they were all going to some random floor and none of them were going to the lobby? Like the man uh, and the dog, the, the boy. I, I, I always thought I was like, where the fuck did all those people go? <laughs> like, that's that that does seem like a pretty big inconsistency, I guess, with yeah. what's going on in that scene. I never thought about that. Yeah, you're right, though. It, it's sort of. It's sort of one of those tropes in romantic comedies, right? Like the random strangers in the restaurant or the random strangers at the party or the random strangers, in this case, in the elevator in the hotel, get kind of mm-hmm. sucked into the drama. So mm-hmm. that's what they were doing there. Um, but you're right. <laughs> Only he gets out. And, and and that is weird. That is weird. Yeah. What kind of questions do you got? So we covered my, my, my first one, which was, why did you pick this movie? I, I really was intrigued, and I really wanted to know what, what drove you to pick the movie. So that's kind of like the overview um, question. And then I do, I do have some specific ones. Uh, so so maybe, maybe this is a really big one, but um, chemistry between the leads. Obviously, in a romantic comedy, it has to be... It should be good. It's not always good, but it right. should be good as a selling point for a ro- for a romantic movie. So, where do you stand on chemistry between um, their characters, John Cusick's character and Kate Beckinsale's character? Good romantic chemistry, believable couple. How, where do we fall? In the very beginning, I always thought that he was strange, and the way he was talking to her was almost abrasive and bizarre. And she was just like, oh, it's a man. I like him. And it was weird to me that, like, his sort of demeanor was just, it was it was off-putting. But, like, you, then you're also supposed to assume you fast-forward eight years, and then they're reconnecting, and the chemistry is a lot stronger. And so a part of me didn't even mind that, that in the beginning scene, when they're presumably in their, actually, I know how old they are, um... Cause I, again, I, I put way too much time into this movie. They're, they're in their late twenties, uh, in the beginning, or at least he is in the beginning of the movie. Um, and, uh, he's a little bit different and, and the chemistry was a little different and it was fine, but it was different. And then you fast forward the eight years and I thought the chemistry when they reconnected and at the, uh, the, the very last scene for their anniversary was pretty spot on. It, it felt legitimate. Well, here's the thing about the movie, too, that's interesting for romantic comedy. And this does happen not as often as the flip of this, but they're not together for the 
almost the entirety of the movie, you get the first 10 minutes or whatever when they have their meet cute and go on sort of the date through New York. And then at the end when they, when they reunite, but uh, this is a romantic comedy. I think it's more rare that this happens, but this is one of the, one of the instances where um, the two leads they're, they're, they're apart the entire movie. Yeah. So you're, you're having to sell your audience on them and their initial meeting in those first 10 to 15 minutes for, to us to even buy into this, to this Mm -hmm. romance, this epic romance um, or root for them or care about what's going to happen to them. So that's an interesting tactic. I think that's a really dangerous one as well. Yeah. Uh, because, it, you know, if, if those first 10, 15 minutes aren't a good selling point, then you you have no movie because who cares if they get together or not eventually, right? Like, right. it has to be good. It has to be believable. And they also provided in, like, uh, if you think about chemistry between couples – the majority of the chemistry that you see, like you were saying, wasn't between the main characters. It was, or the, the, I guess the, the two protagonists, but it was between, uh, it was anti-chemistry. It was, um, they're trying to sell you on the lack of chemistry between the existing relationships. Yeah. Cause that's the chemistry you see more, more, you know, through the majority of the movie. I probably will touch on this later, but I'll say, cause we're talking about it. The best chemistry in the movie is between John Cusick and his uh, his friend. Uh, that bromance is livid. Jeremy Man. Piven. Jeremy Piven's character, yeah. Dean. Dean yeah. Kransky, is it? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they have the best chemistry in the movie, honestly. That's a believable friendship. That's a believable bromance. So, oh, yeah. Uh, I always really appreciated that about this movie. Um, they work together really well. I thought that they played off of each other nicely. Looking at uh, their IMDb's. They've been in a few other movies together, so I don't. I didn't delve into knowing whether that's like a friendship in real life between them or anything. But they definitely play off of, off of each other pretty well. To be honest, it made me want to watch other movies that they've done that I haven't seen because it seems like that type of chemistry between actors isn't something you can just fabricate. So you yeah. know, they could be they could be as good together in, in various other roles too. I, you know, I don't know, but I'd, I'd be interested to see. To to what you said, uh, he does come on strong in the beginning. Um, I do think their meet cute is good though. I do yeah. like the the if you want to call it like act one or segment one or whatever. It, it it's he he's coming on strong, but it feels pretty natural. I think that they have like an easy sort of way with each other. I you I think you really I would need more um to really determine whether they had like good chemistry together because they're really not on screen together at all. Uh, but the movie sells it enough to where I don't think it matters, right? Because it's mm-hmm. just like they set you up for it, but then the movie's really just all about like all these near misses, these coincidences, mm-hmm. fate, and all this stuff. So whether they do or don't, I I don't know that it really super matters. Um, but I was curious because it, you know that's what a romantic comedy uh, it, and romance movies in general are built on uh, the chemistry yeah. between the two leads. So. There's enough there to to sell it, to make me care as I'm watching the movie. And I think they did a, about as good as you could have done with one date. Because if you went too far overboard, then you can make it cheesy. You know, the the, yeah. the, the pitfalls that some romantic comedies fall in for me is like no one falls in love in the first 30 seconds. Like it just, you know, that that's bullshit. Like, you know. This isn't real, but yeah. it it seemed like okay. These people had a really good date, and then they they come they come back later, and they're like, "This was just one really good date." They she even says something to that effect um, later in the movie. So I think yeah, I'm pro pro chemistry. Okay, 
Um, this is an interesting question, and th- I don't think it has a obvious answer. Uh, I'm just more like a what do you think? Was Hallie the girlfriend that Jonathan was buying the gloves for? Uh. And here's the math I've already done on this, all right? So they're 35 when they're getting married, right? Or uh, at the very end of the movie, when Dean is writing the obituary, uh, he says that he was 35 when he died. So they're 35 at the end of the movie. Um, at some point, they state that this happened eight years ago. So you rewind back. They yeah. were in their late 20s, 27-ish, uh, when this happened. So in the best man speech, God, I put way too much into this. In the best man <laughs> speech, Dean says that he met Haley in college. So you do the math between college, which is not 27, and 27, glove incident. I mean, to me, the math suggests strongly that that was Hallie. He was buying those gloves for. Wow. I did not, uh, I didn't, I don't, I don't know that I've ever realized that, that Dean points that out, that they, they met in college. I'm sure I've heard that line several times. Like I said, I've seen this movie a lot, but, um. No, I I don't I had not even considered that. To answer your question, if I if you would have told me that tidbit, I would have said no. I would have said yeah. it was just probably some random like knowing how real life works, he Jonathan probably had a couple of girlfriends um between when he first met Sarah and when he's engaged to be married. But now that you've said that, uh and I I'll, I'll have to double check that college quote cuz I'm pretty sure he says that. He says something about her, him finding her in college. Man, that that's now I really want to know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to know about that line to to answer this question. It, without that piece of information, I would say no, because I think you know before you settle down or you meet meet someone that you're going to get married. Not always, but it just seems in my experience, uh, you know, you you kind of run through a couple of people before you meet the one. Um, you have a couple of girlfriends or a couple of boyfriends or both. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I would have said no, but but that line now I feel like we got we got to do a little digging and verify uh-huh. verify that I'm, line for sure. I'm gonna find it right now. But you can answer. We can also uh, while I'm doing that, you can think about the second question, which was was Lars the boyfriend that Sarah had when they met? What do you think about that one? This one I don't have a good argument for one way or the other. Well, on that one I'd feel a pretty firm no, right? Like, uh. I don't because he's I have to think that I don't know what his fame level it seems to be pretty high in the course of the movie but I don't know how long it's been that high so I'd I'd almost feel like he he was probably like working on his music or like touring or trying to get started playing a lot of clubs yada yada Um, and she seems the type like this is not a slut shaming uh, description at, at all but she just seems like the type where she would have had like a couple of different boyfriends, right? Like knowing what yeah. you know about her character and like fate and how she feels about signs and things. It fe- it feels like she would have had a couple of different boyfriends trying to find that one that she was supposed to be with. Based on how she acts, I would say Lars was not that boyfriend that she was talking about. Yeah. And and part, part of that that I, makes me agree with you is there was that part where um, – they suggest that they were living together with the French dude. Mm-hmm. And then after a short time, he moved out and uh, she moved out. And then so did he, you know. So it seemed like there was that that relationship was yeah in between. So, okay, I found it. So this is why I believe that. And you can tell me how you'd interpret this. It doesn't exactly say it, but it says um, this is talking about them in, in college. 
We were brothers from another mother. We were friends since freshman year. I watched him go out with woman after woman, and he'd always come crawling back to me. It was embarrassing. And then one night, he came home, and things were different. His adolescent dream of becoming a documentary filmmaker was a thing of the past. He hardly even responded to the playful yet tormenting flicks of my finger against the soft part of his skull as he studied for finals. And that is because he had found her, the woman he was meant to be with. And he's talking about Hallie. So he says, coming home to him, uh, yeah. studying for finals, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's why I assumed that. So Yeah, I, good, I think, good catch. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Good catch. I, I had not really... That, like, I, I as you're re- reading that back to me, yes, I've always heard that and mm-hmm. and cemented that they knew each other in college and they were best friends, obviously, but I didn't, I don't think I realized that, you know, specifically saying like, yeah, Hallie, it was that person who when he's on the date with Sarah that he's, he's referencing or buying the gloves for. Okay. Yeah. I, in that case, yes, absolutely. It's you buy it? Yep. <laughs> yep. Earnshaw, every day for a month and a half. <laughs> You know this, man. You know this back to front. And I'm connecting uh, paper clips and, and rubber bands, and yeah, yeah. You can't you can't see this at home right now, but uh, it's like that scene from The Hangover where the numbers are like floating in front mm-hmm. of <laughs> Zach Galifianakis's face. That's what's <laughs> happening to you right now. You got another question for us? Yeah, since since you're asking me a plot related one, here here's one where I think it's just my own confusion, um, and it's probably a really simple answer, but I didn't. Well, I I did I, I didn't look it up. I didn't like go to Reddit or anything, but like I, I was on the IMDb page. But so you could probably answer this pretty quickly since you've watched it so many times, <laughs> in days in a row. Um, where where was Lars's house? Just they uh, straighten me out on my geography because they're in New York, and then when they get the address for where they think Sarah's at, and they go, and it's her sister and her bo- sister's boyfriend house sitting. Where where they're getting on a plane, but they have to be back for the wedding the next day or that same day almost because it seems like it's like super late at night that they start like to start doing this. So where the fuck are they flying to to get to Lars' house? Because they're right, they get on a plane and then they drive and then, and then they get in a car drive somewhere. Well, and then even like in the in the beginning, Sarah when she's leaving her work, which you presume is nearby, she has to get on a boat to get. Uh, she has to get on a ferry. To get wherever she was work from, wherever she was working, back to wherever Lars lives. So um, where is Lars' house? I think I don't know why I believe. Do they this. answer that? And I missed it, or I always believed that that was California, specifically L.A. And I'm I'm trying to figure out why I believe that, and I cannot come up with a good reason. <laughs> you know, that's what I thought too, and I think maybe your reasoning would be somewhat similar to mine, which is just like. That's sort of the generic movie city, like if you're LA. In pl- if you're in a big city of New York and you fly on a plane, you gotta be going to L.A. There's <laughs> have no, to be nowhere else. You're not you going go. anywhere else. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and it plays into the idea of them being separated, you know, because they're separated by a whole friggin' country at that point, mm-hmm. right? If one of them's in New York, one of them's in L.A. That's some coast to coast shit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't like, but if that's the case. But like his wedding is the next day when he and Dean are running around doing this last minute thing, right? Like it's the next day, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he when they go to the bridal shop that was supposed to be the old uh, apartment finder building, he's like, "This is the sign. I'm getting married." Like they're having the bachelor party. Like it's it's tomorrow. And that was all. All of that stuff was pre dinner, so they're doing all that stuff 
then they're at the rehearsal dinner, which I think was like sometime around seven. I don't know if that's correct, if that actually happened or if that's just in my mind. Oh, because he asked the guy with the watch. Oh, my God. Um, he asked somebody for the time. And so, yeah, that, that dinner, they were doing all that stuff before the rehearsal dinner. They were getting married the next day. He flies that night to... Because he gets the book. LA. He gets the book at the rehearsal. Yeah. But it's the rehearsal yeah. the night before. I don't know. I'm not married. I don't, I've not been through these these yeah. things. But no, it's right. the night before, right? He gets the book from Hallie. Yep. And then that's... Yep. He had kind of already given up. And then that's when he's like... Shows Dean the book. And Dean immediately was like... Calls a number. And then they start like... Okay. Then they get on the plane. They fly there. Yeah. It can't be LA, right? Because that would... That'd be crazy. You There's can, no way. You can... You can fly to L.A. and get there in like, I forget what it is. It's like an hour or two hours time, quote unquote, because of the time changes. Because of the time change. So like you could leave a dinner there and still get in L.A. where they, these people are still up and doing their shenanigans in the in the living room window or whatever. That, that all is plausible. But then like he doesn't get back for his wedding. So you, that's kind of like a moot point. You don't have to answer that. But if he were... I guess you're assuming he would be sleeping on the plane and showing up that morning <laughs> straight from the plane, right? I mean, it. I, that, I, I never thought about it before, and again, until I was yeah. like doing that serious analysis for, for yeah. this. Like, where is Lars's house? I, yeah. I feel like yeah. there has to be a line in there somewhere. Maybe when they're at that one club where the sister first proposes, that mm-hmm. they or the boyfriend of the sister first proposes, they can house it. I don't know if they slipped a line in there that says where. I think it's um, something more subtle than that. Like, I think there's, you see like a, I'm, I'm wanting to say you see like a sign as Sarah's walking to her therapy office or whatever. Like, I feel like it's something very subtle if it isn't there at all. And if it's not, I'm just making this shit up. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it that just kind of blew my mind on this watch. Yeah. Like, it's just something I never considered before. But then I was just like, where the fuck are they going right now? Because yeah. he's getting married tomorrow, but they're copping on a plane. Yeah. Like, yeah, it just, that's. That was that's bizarre to me. Yeah. I honestly don't know. Yeah, that's. A, I I kind of hope it's not LA, and we've just been wrong. Like we just got our brains have been trained. Like it's really Seattle or something random. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. they flew to Kansas. It's <laughs> they it was Can- and, Lars lives in Kansas, and they get on the ferry to go to you know the the other <laughs> other part of Kansas. <laughs> they just had to cross that one lake that's in Kansas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I'm I'm glad that makes me feel better because I was like, well, I just missed it. I mean, that's just something stupid that I missed. But okay, so they don't say. Good to know. I don't. I I don't know whether they do or whether you just kind of accept it. But you're convinced that it's it's California. I, I was convinced the same. I don't know. Yeah. That's, again, that's like just it yeah. has to be. It has mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. All right, we'll follow up on that in the future because now yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do Gotta some look it deep up. dive. Yep. <laughs> Um, what do you think about, do you think it's problematic and unrealistic for Sarah's views to flip flop on destiny and fate the way they did throughout the movie? Because it's, I mean, people change, sure. And people get scarred by things and it affects how they view the world fine. But she went from being this like borderline wacko with this stuff. Like, I'm going to write your number on a $5 bill, and if we're meant to be together, I'm going to find it. That's it's that's out there. To then, like, immediately, like, you know, 10 minutes later in the movie, she's jaded by fate. So now she's like, Kenny, uh, I think it's dangerous to use words like soulmate, you know. Keeps us from doing yeah. the real work. 
Uh, and then Lars, so then Lars gives her the ring and it doesn't fit right. And he's like, well, you're not going to look too much into this, which lets you know there was a time when the two of them knew each other where mm-hmm. she was a little bit like that too because yep. he got spooked by it. And then, uh, then you fast forward and then she's doing the whole thing again. So it's like, do you think that's problematic that a hu- that's something that's like kind of central to who you are, which I think is what this would fall into. If that can flip flop like that multiple times during an hour and a half's viewing. <laughs> um, well, first I would say like seven to eight years is a long time mm-hmm. for someone to have life experiences enough to change them. Um, besides that though, I always kind of took that as she was not being honest with herself, right? She was kind of lying to herself. Like, I think deep down she really maybe sort of still did believe in all that stuff, but she had, you mentioned Jade being jaded. So maybe she was just sort of beaten down a little bit and jaded and was trying to put on a brave face because they mm. both are kind of doing that. I think you said, you, you mentioned it at the top that Jonathan had changed a, a good bit. You could see that in, in who he was from the beginning of the movie to his relationship with Hallie. Um, so I think that's going on with both of them. I think that she probably is still that person, but she's, she's lying to herself a little bit because she wants to believe, you know, maybe Lars is the one or that all that stuff was like mumbo jumbo, but really deep down inside, she still prescribes to that like line of thinking. Yeah. You're which completely is why right. She's so she, yeah. she slides back into it so easily. I was just, um, yeah, she was out there and she, she like leans up against the cool hand Luke poster and that like that, that is enough to put her back into that mindset. So you're yeah. right. It had to have been self-deception. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think she she's just lying to herself. She wanted it to to believe, you know. And I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty typical in in romantic comedies too. Like it, not in this degree with like the fate and all that good stuff. But the character is not what the person they're supposed to be. But they spend a good bit of the movie convincing themselves that they are with the right person. Right? Like, mm-hmm. no, no, this is the person for me. I'm doing the right thing. I'm going to be with so and so before you know whatever grand finale happens and they realize the error of their ways and they're running to the airport to stop whoever whatever right so that's a pretty typical trope in a romantic comedy so i i think i think that's that's what's happening she's just she's just lying to herself a little bit and trying to go trying to go about her life um to uh, the best that she can probably jonathan not probably we know that they're both on each other's minds eight years later seven eight years later so yeah, I, that's sort of that's always been my thought there. What a hellish eight years that must have been. You fast I've, forward to the end of that, but you know, all the way through there for eight fucking years, she was flipping over every five dollar bill. You know dude, what I mean? I I mean that I was thinking about, I was <laughs> thinking that exact same thing, and I've thought that before watching this movie, but definitely this past time, just myself being older and it, just thinking about you know uh, you. Nostalgia is such a trap, I think. It can be such a big trap, especially the older you get. Um, so, yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, <laughs> man, brutal. Absolutely brutal. Yeah. And yeah, him, yeah. and him, and B, like, you, I don't know, you may have been in a similar situation where you've been with someone and been thinking about somebody else, and you know how hard that is. For sure. Um, so every time he's gone into a bookstore and looked for the book and he's been with Hallie. Obviously she gives him that book. Cause she says like, every time we go in there, you turn, you pick up this book. So fucking um, mean, man, that is, that's brutal. <laughs> that's harsh, man. He's, he's, he's thinking of someone else all the time. I mean, that's life. I, I like that because life isn't black and white. It's complex and very gray. You can hold two people in your heart. You can love two people, yeah. um, but it's not always fun to do that. 
This what you just said ties in so well to one of my questions. Can I just squeeze it in there? It's a quick. Yeah, note. please, absolutely. Which you're you're in the movie. Poof, Earnshaw is part of the movie. What item sucks worse? Would you rather be the one hunting the five dollar bill or the one hunting the book? <laughs> I think that was that's part of my complaint section. I think Sarah's yeah. whole plan just is stupid. It's just stupid. <laughs> the money would never recirculate into anyone else's hands. Sure. Either one yeah. of their hands. It, right. And it obviously it does in the movie because it's a movie. She finds yeah. the $5 bill. No. Completely mm-hmm. unrealistic. You mm-hmm. know, money, it just doesn't. I, she finds the $5 bill at the Serendipity Cafe, by I the mean, way. It, you know, it, <laughs> I mean, that's a movie. That's a movie for yeah. you right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie magic. That's not going to happen in real life. So right. the, the retriculation of, of the money coming back into the hands of either one of them ever or someone in their circle is so slim. I wish yeah. one of us could crunch the numbers on that <laughs> on the spot because I just feel like it, it's it's impossible. It, that's right. just not going to happen. Um, so I think the book would be better. To answer your question, I'd much rather be trying to hunt down the book than hope I come across a $5 bill. I mean, yeah. it, and if I can't remember now visually, but like I feel like it's like old money in the movie since it's 2001. Yeah. Like, yeah. Money now doesn't even. We have new bills in circulation. Like it, they don't even look the same. So that that would have never happened. You get to that point where all the bills no longer even resemble the bill, and you just get a little sad face, like oh, the five dollar yeah, bill I mean, is gone. The the book I absolutely buy. Like I could see that yeah. happening. Like yeah. and it it would it would probably stay in the same city, right? Like right, yeah. Um, just passed around between different people that are going to uh, used bookstores buying it some taking it to another used bookstore in new york somewhere whatever like i'd much rather be trying to hunt down the book than hunt down a five dollar bill all right and money gets washed money gets torn money gets like burnt no it's nah (laughs) the book any day of the week i want to hunt down the book yeah yeah yeah. i think that would play into i do have it in the complaint section but i think that would play into one of my other questions which is just like your your opinion of this plan of hers I think it's garb, but yeah. uh, I. What do you think? Um, I don't like it. I, I I think I think it's bullshit. I think it's stupid, and I think it's it's. You know, it's it's kind of like she is the true believer of this movie, right? For for the whole fate destiny thing, but in any in any faith of any kind of uh, in any any degree, there always gets to that point where that that faith says, "Do not test the faith." Like, you get to a point where it's like you know. In Christianity, it's like God will protect you, but don't jump off a building. Don't test right. it, right? Right. That's it's in the Bible. So not a building, whatever, but it's there. Um, and this is kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, so she's the true believer. She is proving it. She is fucking proving it by doing this absurd thing with the five dollar bill. Um, the book thing is kind of funny. Like she's kind of punking him, right? You know, like th- that's almost like a fun flirty thing. But the five dollar bill is the is the expression of the true believer. It's stupid, and you're right. There's just no way. There, there's it's no way. It's a bad way. plan. It's yeah. a bad plan. But I mean, if you're again, in her, the book is possible. The money, no. When you're when you are that true believer, you're just like, yeah, this could happen. You know, this this I, I can see fate pulling the string, but it is, I think, objectively a dumb plan. I mean, you're putting a lot of faith in yeah. fate. I mean, that you're Which really. It shows you how deep she was. Yeah, right? Yeah. 
I don't know. I, it feels like you're being sarcastic, but also it feels like you're being legitimate because I think it could go either way. It could go either way. Um, no, she but, was, like she was so deep in the system. It's it's both simultaneously. It's like it is a stupid plan. It's not something I would ever do or want to do. But it's also I understand why she did it because like, she is such a deep in the system believer at that moment. You know? On his end, on his end, I I sympathize. Uh, with that scene, because if you've ever met someone um, and really liked them and it was not tumultuous, but maybe just the circumstances were difficult in that moment, you you would jump through hoops to try to make it happen. I think we've all sort of maybe been there where we really liked someone and the girl's like, I, I even on a smaller scale, the girl's like, I, I want to go see this movie tonight. And you're like, God damn it. I fucking don't want to sit through this piece of shit movie but you're gonna go to that movie you are going to right, go to that right, movie right, right. because you like yeah. that girl and you want to make her happy and if she's happy you're feeling good about your chances of being together starting a relationship or you know just making her feel good so i can see it on his end being willing to jump through those hoops right on her end i think it's a bullshit move to pull because it's just again like the money thing is just not that's just not possible. That's not going right. to happen. The fact that it did, that's only in a movie. Yeah. Well, it's it's very stupid, and but, like, she's also broken. So, well, I guess specifically she was broken by him not picking the same floor as her on the elevator. But, I mean, uh, th- she was broken to the point where, um, I mean, it affected her. So, you know, it was stupid, but it also wasn't like, it wasn't a blow-off either. Like, it wasn't like she was trying to, to get rid of him. I think she she really believed it. She was really that stupid and and that into the into the belief. It'd be a different movie uh, to really analyze. It would be a romantic comedy anymore if you were really analyzing sort of where this comes from with her. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a. It, I don't want to say all romantic comedies are like this because they're not. So I won't make a blanket statement. But I think a lot of times the characterization in romantic comedies can be kind of thin. Right, the point of the movie is not deep dives on these people's like past and what they've been through and, and who they are. It's more about just like overcoming this obstacle that they have in front of them so that they can be together. We don't really know who they are at the end of the day. A lot of times in romantic comedies, I um, have created detailed backstories for every one of these characters are in shock. Oh, Oh wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, what made, well, what made her this way? And now I feel like we at least have to hear hers. Like, why is she so obsessed with this? So what happened she, to her in her past? Um, this is going to go on discoveries, but I'll do it here. She was a uh, very high-level uh, softball player, and I can prove this because um, on two, she she threw underhand a bag with a glove across a, a nice very toss. wide room into the hands mm-hmm. of someone on the elevator. Yep, amazing, amazing That's a nice shot. Toss. Yep. Later, she is in the park and throws underhand a glo- presumably a glove. <laughs> And, and, and then it pans, and she's like fifty yards yeah. away, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, like, yeah. she has the most amazing underhand arm. This is like pro level softball stuff. So she. I mean, if anyone's ever tried to throw a glove, it went, it went into the an wind. Inch. It went right? an inch in front of you. Fifty so, yards. Yeah, out. that's I, that's so, just I've always hated that. That's just that's stupid. My... Like <laughs> the spatial arrangement there was not well thought out by the director. Like no. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. but no, she's a professional softball player. So okay. you, you combine that, <laughs> combine that with, um, no, I I don't know why you know what makes her tick, but I do think, you know, um, I guess people that are going to buy into this movie are going to be. 
it's some part of them is going to be wanting the this reality to exist, even though it absolutely doesn't. They're going to want there to be some way that you could do something as stupid as write your number on a $5 bill and get it back or yeah. write his number and get it back. Um, and so like she is the, she is the personification of that sort of system that this movie operates in. And to her credit, she's right. She puts everybody through a lot of shit for eight years, but she ends up being right. Um, so yeah. And okay. she is a pro softball player. Um, I like that. I, I, I like that. That's become canon now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. If you're um, a fan of this movie, you just learned a new tidbit. Sarah was a softball player. I have one for Dean uh, as well. I'll save that for the uh, new discoveries. Okay. <laughs> Question for you. Um, is the musical career of Lars something that is supposed to be mocked or is it, is it serious? Oh, I, man. I'm just going to be honest. I go back and forth on this because yeah. like – I wrote it both ways. I'm going to yeah. be real. He, he's kind of a badass on stage. That first scene where he's performing, I'm like, I would go to that concert and that would be fucking amazing. I watch him perform. I'm like, hell yeah. But then you see like the video, the Skittles commercial, right? Yeah. Um, and then you see the posters and it's just some of the shit is just, it's like the movie is simultaneously showing his talent and, and what he can do as a performer and completely destroying him as a as a as a human being and mocking him openly to his face <laughs> right yeah and i don't I, know are we supposed to take him seriously as a musician i, I wrote down the same thing I, the movie can't i don't think the movie comes to like a clear decision on that because yeah it is it it's played for laughs a lot and his scenes i guess are some of the funnier ones mm-hmm. um so it does feel like a send up of like new agey kind of music, uh, like some Inya type shit or something, um, <laughs> you know, in that vein, uh, like like Celtic, you know, like you you see those CDs that are like Celtic revival, and it's just a bunch of right. like weird stuff like Lars is playing. I don't know, you know, tribal sounding stuff. <laughs> Mystic surrender. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how to answer that honestly. I do. I do think they play it more for laughs, but at the same time, like Lars seems like a pretty decent guy. I mean, he's just like he's not a bad guy. He just wasn't the right partner for Sarah, so he's just out there kind of like making a living, trying to do his thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I come down on that. I do. I do think they're playing it for laughs for a majority of the movie, but it it's also presented in a way where you're, as you said, where you're like, well, I mean, Lars is like kind of breaking it down on stage and like, he seems to have a lot of fans, right? Yeah. Like his, his manager's like, it's sold out in Norway or wherever they were going. Like, um, so I, you know, I don't know. I think it, it probably more on the comedy side, but, uh, yeah, eh, yeah. I, I that was sort of a weird thing for me. Yeah. And maybe this is a strength of the movie. Like normally I, I'm used to comic relief characters, being very obvious and it's like the thing that makes them funny is obviously is obvious mockery you don't usually get someone who's like let's have a really talented artist but then also simultaneously make fun of him for his art yeah maybe that's the strength of the movie is that's kind of stepping outside of the line of what you know the comic relief character which he obviously is because there's so many hilarious lines involving his craft throughout this movie so I do think they play it more for laughs, for sure. Yeah. Um, 
this sort of ties into this was the first note I made in my praise section while we're talking about it. Um, the significant others in this movie, they're not awful people. A lot of times in romantic comedies, the the significant others are just obstacles to be overcome. And yeah. a lot of times, like, you know, the guy is like a jerk. Uh, and, like, the girl's male, well-meaning, uh, but she's, like, mousy or something like that, you know? So, like, they have really negative, like... They have really negative qualities that you, you say, like, well, obviously, I want the two leads to be together because these significant others that they're currently with are awful. Yeah. The movie or doesn't mouse, do or that. Mousy. I love that description because you're right. <laughs> it, you know, they're, they're like naggy or like mousy, yeah. you know, but like well meaning. They're like really sweet, but they're just like, oh my God, like we got to do this and like the wedding's tomorrow and oh, my sister's here and da, da, da. you know, yeah. they're always like, they're like good people, but like, you yeah. Know. yeah. Yeah, yeah, But in this movie, they're not. They're not right. super fleshed out either, like the leads or anything, but they're not awful human beings. You're yeah. not saying like, God, Lars is such a jerk. I can't wait for her to get back with Jonathan. So I appreciate that aspect of it. Whether they're making fun of Lars's career or not, um, he was a cool dude. He, yeah. he was a nice guy. Uh, and I that there's something to be said for that. And I think that you see that more now in romantic comedies just because the genres had to try to do some different things. Yeah. But I can think of a lot more where, you know, it's just obvious that they're not only are they not going to be with this person, but that person also just like sucks. Yeah, and it wasn't the case here, which I like. So, yeah. Well, I, do you? The way I, I had that same question, I had phrased it as, "Does this movie break romantic comedy rules by crushing?" You know that you break the eggs to get the omelet at the end, but are the eggs that are being broken? Do they deserve it? Is that is there? Do you, and you you've you've kind of addressed this that romantic yeah, com- they're, comedies I mean, are they're evolving. Definitely, yeah, they're definitely trying to subvert some of the the more typical stuff. Like I said, um, the leads aren't together for the entire movie. Mm-hmm. The meat of the movie, they they don't share any screen time. Um, this and the significant others being uh, decent people, I think, is, is sort of a subversion. Um, so I think they they are. I think this movie is trying to do something a little bit different um, with that stuff, which I appreciate because you know I think with romantic comedies they follow a really simple and tight formula and rarely deviate from that. And this movie does do that to a certain extent. I mean, it, you know, they're going to get together at the end, but. Um, it tries to do some different stuff, so I can applaud it for that. This yeah. is stuff I was going to say at the end when we're talking about the conclusion, but yeah, yeah. Well, in the lines of breaking eggs to make uh, omelets, I had just have as a question: Who was shittier, John or or, or Sarah? In 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 the whole um, doing what they had to do to get to their mate at the end, who was shittier Ooh, to the people in their and not just not just and I'm going to expand this not just their significant other, but also the people in their lives that they kind of drag around through this weird uh, maze with them. Who was shittier? <laughs> I, th- I think at the end of the day, you got to go Jonathan, considering he was literally day of about to get married before it gets yeah. called off. I mean, he's he's almost got her to the aisle. Uh, at the end of the day, Sarah and Lars part pretty amicably. Like, right, he proposes, but then we find out, like, he took it pretty well. Yeah. Sarah was like, oh, we, you know, we broke up and, and he seems to be doing okay. I think he'll be all right. Like, <laughs> Lars, and Lars was going to go to Europe on his tour, so he wasn't, yeah. I don't think he was sweating it too much. So I, on the sheer fact that like, in, and Hallie seemed like a sweet, nice person and there she was like thinking she was about to get married and she could already tell that, that Jonathan was getting cold feet and was sort of yeah. checked out. You know, he's not a bad dude, but I think in terms of just 
the actions that they take to get where they need to go or where they want to go, I'd have to, I'd have to say he's the worst of the two. So, um, I agree with you, but help me defend against this counterpoint devil's advocate here. Sarah tricks her friend into coming to New York saying that it's her birthday, um, Mm. where she gets hit in the head twice. (laughs) Love on, that scene on, on her birthday. Does that Laugh does that, that for sure. does that move the needle for you? Uh, definitely a shit move. The deception <laughs> is a bit of a shit move, but considering how quickly Eve forgives her, I yeah. can I can let that slide. It, that didn't right. bother me as much. Yeah, sounds good. I'm thinking I'm thinking Hallie's going to be hurt for a while. Like she, oh yeah. she's she's not Lars going off to Europe, being like, yeah, you know, you're right. It's it wasn't meant to be. No, no, no. She's she's gonna be hurting for a little bit. And now, as you've pointed out, they've been together for however many years since college. At least, at least eight years is the math that I'm doing. So, and 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 I, mean, I would assume she's twenty seven. Yeah, I would assume it's more like 10, 15 years, like somewhere yeah, around. I mean, like if they met in college, 12, but they're 13? supposed to be thirty five in the present day. Mm-hmm. Then it's it, they've been together a minute. Holy shit! So she's gonna be hurting yeah. pretty bad for a while, I think. Yeah, John's the villain for sure. All right, it, it's not it. a good look for him in that regard. <laughs> um, this is my last question. Well, it, it's my next to last question. My real last question is kind of a silly one, but um, I'll ask this one. Um, after a while, is it too many coincidences? Does it start to get on your nerves a little bit? Some of the stuff that they do. Do you I, did you appreciate the layering of all the things? Because like in the beginning, I'm watching it and I'm like, oh cool, a, a coincidence. Oh cool, another one. By the time they get to uh, the fact that Eve is an old friend of Hallie's from school, I'm like, that's I don't know. I'm sort of done with the coincidences now. Like that one felt like it went a little too far. Yeah. Um, the fact that, and I know this has to happen. I know it has to happen. So I acknowledge that. But the fact that Hallie gave him the book after all those years of searching. So right. we've already said it circulated in New York, so it's possible. But the fact that Hallie gave it to him like the night before, it, I mean, it, it starts to feel like it gets a little, like a step too far. And I know that's the whole point of the movie, so I'm I'm saying that I realize that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it works for me 100%. By that point, I'm, I'm starting to get a little tired of all these little, these little coincidences. Yeah. That book scene felt to me like that could have been the plot the screenplay writer had in his head or her head from the beginning. Like, I want to write. I want to write a movie about a groom who has a groom's gift. Which is that even a thing? Like that didn't happen to me. A traditional what? Anyway, like um, for his gift, his fiance is going to give him a book that has the name and number of the woman he loves that he couldn't. Tr- Doesn't that seem like that could have been the it's impetus much, for the man. whole? Right. It's too much. Yeah. You're um, right. That feels like a reverse engineered plot point. Like they, they had it? that in their mind, and then they wrote the whole movie around. How that. can I make a movie around this this big twist? Um, well, and now that you've said that you didn't get a groom's <laughs> gift, I'm almost laughing at the line because Jonathan's like, "Oh yeah, the traditional groom's gift." <laughs> is that I traditional? That, I, I don't that know. As a question. I don't know. I was like, "Is that even a thing?" I've never heard. I don't of this. know. Yeah, it could be. I'm not sure. <laughs> but now that you've said that, and I'm thinking about him being like. Duh, the traditional group. I'm like, oh. so that even that even adds further like 
credence to what I'm saying. Like it, that's it's kind of horseshit at a certain point. Some yeah. of them are cool. I really like like the Dalmatian in that one scene where like Jonathan's petting it, and then uh, a few minutes later, it, and like further down the street because the guy's yeah. dog walking right, so he's just same going down dog. The and, so they're they're on they're like just a couple blocks apart at that point. Ones like that, I sort of like. That was a cool way to show that too. Like no zoom out, like no uh you know assassin's creed zoom out here's a map this is where Ezio is you know it's it's like a dog so you you if you if you pay attention you catch they're a block apart you know that's yeah, cool yeah. i like that one yeah even her leaving her jacket on the bench and forgetting it and then it, him picking up the jacket and that's yeah. towards the end even that one okay but there were yeah. just it, it just got to a certain point where it, like even and i remember even thinking that the first time i saw this movie i'm just like uh god okay. all right this is <laughs> You know, uh, enough is enough on that. Like, right. That's the whole point of the movie. So it's sort of like, can you criticize that? I don't know. I guess it depends on whether you like the movie or you buy into it. That yeah. that will depend sort of where you come down on that. Well, and I think you could also probably craft a movie just like this that removed a few very minor instances that weren't like. Uh, I guess plot shattering. I'm I'm describing a scenario where you could like tweak the dial. You know what I mean? For some people, I can see them really enjoying that stuff. I, I'm sure a lot of people enjoy counting up those near misses. Like, you know, when they get out of the cab to go to the bride shop. Uh, I I don't know if it's that scene or another scene. They get out of the cab and like Sarah and her friend get into it. Or there, there's a near miss with like a cab when they. Pull oh up yeah, somewhere. yeah, yeah. They they were getting into a cab and driving away when Jonathan was running up to the bridal shop. Yeah, to so, serendipity. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, some people probably appreciate that layering. Um, yeah, maybe just a little too much for me personally. Yeah. Well, I mean, just think uh, about it as a dial. Like you could have di- They could have dialed it up, and like you know, the purse that Eve bought was you know was was uh lost and found by Hallie's mother. You know, like they could have made it even worse. And but they also could have toned it down. And so it makes you wonder somebody at some point was like, yes, this is the setting <laughs> of um overlapping characters that that satisfies the plot. And I don't know. Yeah. I I will say that the for, from that standpoint that those uh those moments didn't bother me, but there was some dialogue that did. I guess, um, and it, you could have the same sort of argument where you could have dialed the dialogue down a little bit. You could have dialed it up and made it worse, and they settled on something that probably they thought was an average value. <laughs> and maybe that's what this is as well. I mean, it's just, it's the whole plot. So uh, yeah. if you're going to buy in, you got to go all in. I like the movie enough to accept it, though it's sort of annoying. By the end, I'm sort of annoyed. Yeah, I totally get that. So... I'm wondering if this added to your annoyment. This is one of my questions. Did you notice the ticking sound in the background throughout so much of the movie? In specific, the ticking picks up at these exact moments that irritate you, (laughs) which makes me wonder if that just added to your irritation. So I'll give you an example. Uh, Right when John opened his gift from Hallie, there's a ticking that starts going like tick. It's often accompanied with this song that's like, right? So it's like, and, and that ticking is consistent throughout any moment where they're describing the fate machine, right? So they're describing, uh, if Jonathan's finding the book, the ticking happens. When John's reading his obituary at the end, 
Um, and Sarah's saying goodbye to Eve, the ticking starts happening. Why? Because Sarah realizes, oh, it's cold. I don't have my jacket. So it starts ticking because that's the, the fate machine. Um, right. And then the songs. Like if you listen to the soundtrack, all the songs have this sort of like steady cymbal or some other steady percussion that creates this sort of ticking vibe. And and I'm I'm one. The, to me, that was one of these things where like they're overtly trying to drive this into your head that this is a yeah. fate machine in work. Um, but I, I guess the question might be moot because the question was, did you notice that? Did you did you pick up on that sort of like ticking theme? I can't. I I have to be honest and say I can't say that I did. Um, yeah. If if I even if I'm watching it and acknowledging hearing it at the time. It didn't make an impression on me one way or the other to yeah. to make a note of it or to to write it down um, or even remember it. So okay, yeah, I don't know that it. I don't know that I I was even aware. And again, if I was, I don't, I'm not sure that it that it left an impression on me. Okay, um, I maybe that, that was the, really what was irritating you, Earnshaw. It wasn't the uh... <laughs> maybe it was. It was the damn ticking slipping into my head like the telltale heart or some shit. The hell is that ticking? <laughs> I know, I know, like the jazzy one you're referencing from the soundtrack, like that plays a couple of times where they're sort of shuffling back and forth, like when they're in the warehouse trying to find the carbon copy of her mm-hmm. number, like that jazzy little tune's playing, and when she's on the plane at one point, they're playing that. So, like you're you're right, you can sort of feel that the rush in that song a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I'll next time I watch it, I'll I'll listen. Yeah, I'll listen to in, that. Any time a fate the fate machine is at work, whether it's Sarah finding the five dollar bill. Or her hand, or or Hallie handing John the book, or any anything else that really pushes that fate machine forward, You'll, it'll start ticking, and that ticking will also often lead into a sa- a song where it makes sense. But like, it starts out with just like tick 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 tick. I was like, what the fuck are they doing to me? Right okay, now? <laughs> yeah, I'd have to. Li- that I mean, that feels like something I should have picked up on, or something really obvious that that would have stood out. But um, yeah, maybe just didn't didn't commit to to it enough to really let it like sink in um do you have any more questions or were you were you tapped out i think i think my last question sort of a silly one but for my own personal wanting to know uh mrs miliardo had very strong feelings about donnie darko <laughs> oh yeah so right. i was curious where she comes down on serendipity and especially if you're watching this a lot you're saying you you watched it pretty consecutively for a while like is that where she walks in and she's like, oh, not this movie again? Or is it where she walks in and she's like, oh, this movie's sweet. I like it. Um, I don't. I think she's pro serendipity. My wife and okay. I have a longstanding tradition of watching sappy. Uh, um, so, OK, so here's the bar. We love watching Hallmark movies right together. And if you've ever watched Hallmark movies, you understand what I'm talking about. They are. They take any element of a proper film and they're just like, let's make the dartboard five times bigger and we're still going to miss. We're just going to throw this shit wherever we want. And and everything that we're describing now is kind of moot when it comes to that. So our bar for what we enjoy is just what makes me feel good. Jam the, jam the message into my brain. Jam me with metaphors. I don't want to have to think too hard about this. Um, but, you know, with that in mind, she and I do enjoy this movie. Okay. It's not something that she and I would have watched like a ton, um, um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. I think she's pro. Just Miss totally Miss curious because she she <laughs> thought Donnie Darko was one of the biggest pieces of shit in the world. <laughs> right. So I just I needed to know about serendipity. After yeah, that. no, she's not on that. But but there are haters out there. I, I I did some research. There are some definite serendipity haters out there. Oh, I want to hear about those. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Um, so I have a two serious and one one joking. So I'll, I'll alternate here. Um, the serious one, or one of the serious ones. Um, does the plot of the movie? Do you think the plot of the movie even makes sense anymore? And what I mean by that is, um. In the way that my daughter doesn't understand what I mean when I say that this song is from the same album. They're like, what's an album? They're never going to understand that concept the way that you and I did. Um, would like Gen Z and beyond, would they even understand the whole principle of I have to track somebody? I met somebody and I can't find them. Do you know how hard that is to recreate now? Yeah. Um, between social media and just having a photo of someone, how easy it is to find out everything about them online, even for people yeah. that don't that aren't in the business of doing that, privacy just doesn't exist. So, does that? I guess what I'm asking is like, um, would my children, when they watch this ten years from now, uh, would that would the plot make sense to them? To you, what do you think? Yeah. Only if they went into it understanding and knowing that it was of a time. Right. Like they they'd have to put themselves in the mindset that, uh, yeah, these technologies like think like, no. So 2001 Facebook wasn't really big. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, yeah, Facebook. Facebook was probably just kind of getting started around that time. or They all were around then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they all were. So if they could put themselves in that mindset ahead of time and go ahead and accept that, you know, it was of an era. It was different. As we yeah. watch older movies and we think, well, they can't just, you know, like sometimes we'll watch older movies and we're like, why, why won't you use just... the GPS? Jesus, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Or even just simple <laughs> stuff when you watch a movie that's older and you're like, you have to accept the social mores of the time or you have to accept like the social implications. Like the girl can't just go over to the guy's house without parental supervision or something like that. Right. Because in like, right. In olden times, you know, you had to be proper or a young lady had to act a certain way. So as as far as we're willing to accept those things when you watch an older movie, that's how they'll have to view it, though. I mean, this will it'll be like a relic in a way like, oh, that's funny. Ha ha ha. That romance had to blossom using these crazy obstacles, you know, like it it will make sense if they're, I guess, uh, willing to to suspend not disbelief because that it happened, but. We lived it. We lived it. Um, so it'll, yeah, be a, it, it'll be a timepiece, basically. It, it will then, be. Yeah, yeah, it will be. It'll be of an era. It will be a relic. If they can, if they can dig that, if they can accept that, then like absolutely, it'll make sense. Um, for at a, to a certain age, no. Like if they tried now, I think it's harder to grasp those concepts. Um, you know, it, kids, as you mentioned earlier, with like the VHS, I think some kids would would not understand that concept at all. Yeah, but VCR. I mean, those they don't VCRs don't exist. You can't just go to the store and buy a VCR anymore. You know, <laughs> right, to get yeah. one off of eBay from some like creepy old dude. So yeah, um, costs more than a damn GameCube now. Jesus, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's the posterity of it. So if they if they accepted it at the front from the beginning from the get go, it it'd be fine. Um, if they're willing to do that, they could totally do it. Silly question. Did Sarah get arrested on the plane? So here's my timeline. Uh, 2001, this movie came out. And so that meant all this filming happened before September 11th in all likelihood. Mm -hmm. Um, But she literally, like, as the plane is about to take off, she just gets up and starts marching off the plane after stealing somebody's money, nonetheless, right? So she steals somebody's money and then she runs off the plane 
and the stewardess is like, uh, security, security. And she's like, as the, as the scene is ending, this flight attendant is telling security or someone, I forget exact, the exact line, but they're telling someone to address this crazy woman. Yeah. Nowadays, they, she is fucking pinned to the ground and tasered. arrested. Tasered, right? bro. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yep. what do you think? Like, what was, what was happening? Because then it just cuts over. She's in the cab looking for Jonathan. What do you think happens right there? Considering it's pre nine eleven, if I had to be literal with it, like probably she just said like, "Oh, you know, I don't, I don't want the money. Just can you give me that number that's on the bill? Like I'm after that, and maybe explain the story." Yeah. And they were like, "This chick is crazy. Let her off the plane." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. like, no arrest, right? Like she's like, "I just need that phone number. You don't understand." Just you know, whatever she explains, <laughs> even if it's a lie. Like Gen Z is like, "Why don't you just take a picture with your smartphone? What's wrong with right, that lady?" Right. <laughs> Even if she just lies, like, it doesn't explain the whole Jonathan story, but just says, like, oh, my friend needs that number. She left it for me. I'm trying to get in touch with her. She's staying at the Waldorf Astoria, like, hotel. Yeah, yeah. You know, something like that. So, uh, yeah, I think that could be explained away, considering it was pre-9-11. Yeah. I had a question about that in my complaint section. It frustrated me because I don't know what regulations were like pre 9-11 flying yeah. i don't i didn't fly until i was in college 9-11 happened when we were in high school well when we were in high school were you i don't know if you ever were a part of this but did you ever go with us to uh the airport nearby where we lived just to watch planes like we would with no tickets we would just no. for fun mm-hmm. every now and then nope. some of us would would go to uh that airport near where we lived and we would just um walk past tickets Right, we would just go on past them, and we wouldn't get on yeah. the plane because we didn't have the tickets. But we could go right to where all the passengers were waiting, and we would just yeah. sit down with a coffee or whatever people were wanting at the time, and and watch planes take off. That was something we did a few times for fun, and it was kind of like that's weird. And you see that a lot in movies, right? Like that's yeah. the thing in movies where they just like they'll walk them to the all the way to the gate. Yeah, you know, there's there's tons of movies and TV shows where the characters trying to stop someone from getting on the plane. Um, and they go right up to the gate as, as they're about to give their ticket to the person, like yelling their name. Yeah, yeah that's that's a thing. I, you can't. That couldn't be a thing in in a romantic comedy anymore. Like you can't. No, you can't do that. They'd have to uh, account for the, the laws changing. Um, yeah, but that I had I had thoughts about that, and that was frustrating too because even the fact that she got on the plane with Eve's wallet, right? They had the wallet mix up. Yeah. Oh, mine says Prado. Yeah. <laughs> Even pre nine eleven, wouldn't you think you'd have to show your ID to get on the plane? Like the ID would have to match the ticket. I don't know. I I should have looked up nine eleven pre nine eleven plane regulations. But like, I, it would make sense that you would at least verify the identity of the person getting on the plane. Yeah. But maybe not. Maybe maybe post nine eleven is when they started looking at your ID. You know, now you go to hand your ticket over. They look at your ID. They look at the ticket. Make sure it matches up. They write their initial <laughs> on the ticket. I didn't fly pre nine eleven. I don't know. It's it's just that one flight. I mean, when you're going nonstop from New York to Kansas, um, they don't <laughs> they don't worry so much. That's, they, they're not worried about it. No. Nothing's going on in Kansas. We don't have to worry about this. No, no. Yeah, at, if they remade this movie today, ten years from now, I mean, it'd be an entirely different movie. They'd have to do the searching and trying to track them down. Taking into account Facebook, taking into account Instagram, taking into account all these modern technologies. So it, it might be a totally different movie. All right. Last serious question. Um, much in the same way that 
the movie kind of uh, pokes fun at Lars while also showing his his mu- musical prowess and how good he is. Um, it also kind of pokes fun at fate by Jonathan Jonathan's reaction to uh, Sarah's shenanigans in the beginning, right? So Jonathan is the voice that's kind of poking fun at that belief system. Um, but then at the end, the belief system wins, right? The machine worked. Uh, so as the viewer, are we supposed to believe in fate as a force or, or no? Is the movie trying to convince you of something? Is it trying to send you an argument, you think? Gosh, uh, that's heavy. That's a heavy way to, to, to finish out questions. Yeah. Um, at face value, you'd almost have to say that it is endorsing believing in like chance and fate. You'd have to you'd have to say that there's an endorsement there because it all works out according it's, to and it's so these thick. crazy plans. It's so thick throughout. I mean, the she movie. literally finds the dollar five dollar <laughs> right. bill as you mentioned in the same goddamn cafe where they had the, their yeah. their date the first time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I think so. I, I think. That I don't know if it's a message. I wouldn't say it's like a message that they're they're definitely trying to to plaster across your forehead, like believe in fate. But um, I I think it's definitely saying, yeah, it's out there. It exists. Put your belief and hope and faith in something. Um, it can happen. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. That's hard. That's a good question. I don't know. I kind of came away from it with the same view, which is like, I don't think the writer can write a screenplay like this from the perspective of like a historian or something like the person that wrote this is is not necessarily a Sarah, but they are intrigued by this concept enough that they are wanting to make a work of art out of it. And so to me, it's like at the very least, this is an argument at its core. It's trying to present something in a compelling way. And I don't know that you could create something like this without at least thinking it's it's a it's a possibility. It let's flirt with this idea. Let's yeah. You know, it's not like he could be like, "This is complete bullshit," but I'm going to write this movie anyway. No, no, yeah, like, no. You're right. They're you're right. You're absolutely you know? right. There's so. you can't do that. You can't be you can't be writing a movie like this and then think it's all bullshit. Um, right. At least, I mean, you can as the literal <laughs> writer, but your characters can't come away thinking that oh, it was all bullshit and you right. don't i don't think you want your audience to either with this kind of movie you want them to think like man it all worked out and fate can be mysterious and beautiful and the yeah. universe brought them together after all like so if i had to come down on one side or the other i think the argument is for for yeah. believing in fate for believing in chance for believing in, in coincidence um yeah i kind of land there too it has to be all right, man. Are you ready to do some new discoveries? Let's do it. It's Cassiopeia. The stars in the sky, it's, it's Cassiopeia. So the first new discovery for me, this cracked me up. I never noticed at the very, very beginning of the movie, the dude walks out holding two kids, pissed off as fuck. And he has a pacifier in his mouth. Here's what's great about that. Like, I understand. I understand. In the same way that Sarah is a softball player and Dean has a backstory that's fleshed out that'll be coming forth very soon. Um, This dad, I can tell you what happened to him, right? So he had these two kids. 
one of them smacked the other in the face with some merchandise item, right? For no reason. It just happened, right? So the kid starts crying. Then you have to, like, pick up the crying kid. Then the other crying kid trips over their own shoe and face plants onto something sharp. They start crying. So now you're carrying two kids. This one spits out the pacifier, right? So then you're like, you catch it in your hand. Because if a pacifier hits the ground, it might have well have fallen into the uh, fires of Mount Doom. It's done. Like, you cannot use that shit anymore. So the pacifier falls out. You catch it in your hand. You're you're juggling two children. What do you do? Put it in your mouth. And then he walks out and he's pissed off. Why? Because of all that shit that I just said. That I is love, the backstory. <laughs> I love it because I that was the first new discovery I wrote down. I never noticed it before. But watching it for this, yeah. I was like, the dad walks out with his pacifier. That's such a good, just like brief little comic moment it yeah. goes by like super quick yeah but i think and that's that those, the, those kinds of little flourishes sometimes are just really nice like don't draw attention to it not a big deal cool little comedic moment boom done yeah, yeah. love that yeah um i don't it, i wrote this in new discoveries but i don't know if it's kind of considered a new discovery but i, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it and but you kind of already mentioned this at the very beginning but I don't. I never think of this as a Christmas movie. Mm. Um, so you know, every year you may sit down with your significant other, whoever, and you're like, "What? You know, you want to watch Christmas movies? I like watching Christmas movies at Christmas." Um, and we're like, "Oh, which one should we watch?" You know, you'll run through some of the obvious ones, but I never think of Serendipity as a Christmas movie. Like that doesn't. I never think like, "Well, we got we could do Serendipity." <laughs> like that's I just I don't ever think of it as a Christmas movie. It's very obviously a Christmas movie, yeah. Um, but it doesn't draw attention to itself in that way. Like the holidays are sort of in the background. Like yeah. nothing's really built around it being Christmas. It just so happens that they're doing the Christmas shopping like at the beginning, and mm-hmm. then at the end, it's sort of bookended that way as well. Um, I mean, is it a, is it a, is it a go to Christmas movie for you? I mean, obviously, you really like the movie. You've said you've watched it a lot, but. Um, I, yeah, I just I don't even think I don't even think about it. I don't think so. I mean, it's um are you a are, I think I've asked you this before, but are you a Doctor Who fan? I've never seen Doctor Who. Well, there's always going to be like a Christmas special for every season, and that Christmas special will all often involve like oh, this time the uh the the threat is a bunch of Santa Claus mannequins that are shooting you with uh machine guns for instance, right? That's the Christmas special. It's it's Christmas tangent. There's snow. And I think that's what, what you can say about this movie and movies like The Holiday, even. Um, they're Christmas tangent, but you could watch mm-hmm. them in May and it wouldn't feel weird. <laughs> yeah. The Grinch Stole Christmas is a legit Christmas movie. Right. Um, both the Jim Carrey version and the, and the, and the cartoon. This isn't like that, but it is, I guess, Christmas tangent enough to where, and I think you could say Donnie Darko is Halloween tangent. Uh, this is the same way. This is Christmas tangent, and I, I would watch this with Christmas for sure. But it wouldn't. It's not necessary. Yeah. Now that now that we've done this, um, and I don't think I've mentioned this yet, but I actually did that. So that conversation sprung up because, like, not this past Christmas, but the one before that, uh, I got twenty nineteen. Um, I guess we won't say Mrs. Earnshaw because I'm not married, but... So here are the options. You can have Dame Earnshaw, um, <laughs> uh, Madame Earnshaw. Dame makes her sound old, too. So does Madame. Um, 
You miss, I mean, miss. You know, Miss Woods. Miss, yeah. Miss, okay, Lady, yeah. Lady, Lady Earnshaw. Lady um, Earnshaw. Mm-hmm. I do, okay, Lady Earnshaw. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that that was 2019. That I think that was when we settled on when we were like, let's watch a Christmas movie together. And I was kind of throwing out some different suggestions and, and she was like, serendipity. And I was like, huh? <laughs> Not a Christmas movie. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's definitely a Christmas movie. I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, Christmas tangent, you're right. Um, yeah. But I can even see in the moment, like with her, we were watching it. Sure, Christmas movie, why not? So yeah, just, I don't know, just a little little food for thought. I, I don't, I don't consider a Christmas movie. It was like Lady Earnshaw's like second suggestion. It was the one we ended up yeah. watching. So I had watched this movie recently before I had even done it for this. Like 2019 Christmas, we were watching Serendipity. Yeah. Um, just don't, just never think of it as a Christmas movie. Mm. You should ask Lady Earnshaw if she ever noticed the ticking. I'm curious. I will. I, wa- I really want to know. Um, I will report back. Next new, uh, th- this one broke my brain, this next new discovery. This would be like if you were, honestly, to me, this was as earth-shattering as finding out that the line was not, Luke, I am your father. It was just, I am your father. It was that earth-shattering. For a decade plus of my life, I believed that the line that Sarah said to John was, it's the curse of the English, I'm afraid, bad skin and bad teeth. I could have sworn she was saying bad skin and bad teeth, which made the next line that he said, oh, you have great teeth. Kind of a burn, right? Like, I have bad skin and I have bad teeth. No, you have great teeth, right? Doesn't that kind of sound like a half compliment, half burn? Yeah. Well, it, it, there's two implications there because it's saying like, well, she either has bad skin, but she has good teeth, or he's agreeing that all English people are like disgusting. Right. It's like it could go either way. I yeah. always thought that was a bit of like a sick backhand, which, but anyway, which kind of tied into my whole he was a bit of a douche to her in the beginning uh, motif. But what he, what she actually said was, "Curse of the English, I'm afraid, fair skin and bad teeth, not bad skin, mm. but fair skin." So when he says, you have great teeth, it's totally acceptable. I happened to be watching this movie on captions one night, and I saw a fair skin, and it blew my mind. Wow. Yeah, that was my new I, discovery. I, I'm not as in tune with like it, all the dialogue to know that it would have been different from what I had perceived it originally. Yeah. Um, but I love little nuggets like that where you think you've heard something one way, but then you know it, later you're like, oh, wow, I, I was so wrong. Yeah. Way off. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, again, not a new discovery, but feel like something I should point out since we're talking about it. And I think th- this is this is going to be. There's no in between on this one. You either you're going to go one way or you're going to go the other way. Right. I love Molly Shannon in this movie. She is great. She, she is. cracks me up. All her scenes are funny. She does an awesome job. I wasn't always... I'm a big SNL fan. I wouldn't say that she's been one of my favorite people on SNL um, to have come and gone. Like she, she had good skits back in the day, but her brand of comedy or the way she acts, I wouldn't say is like always my favorite. Uh, some of that stuff like Mary Catherine Gallagher could be like over the top, like physical comedy where she's like flailing into the chairs and, and being just like really silly. Yeah. Um, but she's, I love her character in this movie. She's yeah. so good. It, she has a lot of funny scenes. Um, when the lady is like asking her about the candle and um, she's like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then the, <laughs> and like before that scene cuts, the lady comes back out. And she's like, 
waves at her. I was like, yeah. And then she's like, I can't stand her under her breath. <laughs> yeah. like, I love it. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. Not a new discovery because even at the time watching it, I always really liked her part, her bit in the movie. Um, but cause since we were, we're doing a, a deep dive analysis on it, I wanted to bring, I wanted to bring it into focus. Like just, yeah, just love her character in this movie. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to go back to the elevator because I can't let this go, right? I cannot let this fucking elevator scene go. Um, This is my new discovery, though. John went up every single floor until he got to the correct floor. And you you assume that because he pressed the right floor. That was the fate machine at work. He pressed the same floor. They both pressed 23, right? Yep. And and the little devil kid fucked it up, right? He pressed all the little buttons. So you assume he goes up to every single floor until he gets to the correct floor. And this was not the top floor, right? It was just the correct floor. And then he went down immediately. The new discovery was he didn't think to keep going, right? He could have gone to 24 and 25 and 26 and 27. But I guess tying into the whole fate machine, he went up to 23 and somehow knew I got to go back down to the lobby. And even still, he missed her by, by that much, you know? This may be a creeper move, but in relation to what you're saying, um, and I, I guess it's technically a new discovery because I'd never had thought about this before, but I was just trying to put myself in his shoes as I'm watching it, being the male, being a male, and, and he's in, as my male counterpart. Um, you know, I would have just pressed one. I would have went to the first floor, immediately gotten off, gone down the stairs, and then just waited in the lobby. Yeah. And maybe that would have bucked her rules, but... I would have just forced the issue right then and there, or yeah. at least come up with a different, make, make her come up with like a different scenario to play out. Like it was frustrating to me to watch the elevator scene as it's been every time I've seen this movie, <laughs> yeah. but especially this time I would have just said like, that's dumb. Elevators get broken down. You can get stuck in them. Like there's too, like I understand leaving it to fate and playing by her rules, but there's too much that could go wrong with like the elevator situation. Right. I would have totally just hit number one, would have gone up, gotten off, gone down the stairs out into the lobby and just waited for her to come back down. Like she yeah. would have gone up to 23 and been disappointed. And the same yeah. thing could have happened to her on her end. Like she doesn't, I mean, like what would she have done if the devil kid was in her elevator? How does right. that work with her, yeah. her thing yeah. about fate? Or she sees the devil sign and thinks like, okay, now I know it's not meant to be, but I, w- I maybe would have just forced the issue a little bit and just bypassed that entire elevator experiment. Just right. Yeah. With it. Yeah. I think I, what I probably would have done, I would have pressed a random floor. But the second that devil shit happened, I would have gotten off, like you said, and, and I would have climbed down. And down the stairs. And, here's yes. a, and what would have happened if he had, he would have beat her down there and he would have said, look, I pressed 23, but this fucking devil kid got on the elevator and fucked it up and it was going to take 10 minutes and I just didn't want to miss you. And, and, yeah. and done. Eight years of your life are now with the person you love. Congratulations. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. There are some simple solutions for. I mean, you wouldn't have a movie if you if they right. didn't do right. this crap. Yeah. So we now we'll acknowledge that. And we got to build up to the big book scene because that's what it was all about. That's 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 why this movie exists. <laughs> that is why this movie was made. <laughs> the writer of this movie loves Gabe, Gabriel Garcia Marquez and wanted everyone to know it. Random random book. I, we're gonna come back to that because that's in my praise section. <laughs> but for now, we'll leave it. All right. On a shallow new discovery note. Completely shallow. This is for um, all all the viewers or listeners who have suspected I've been a pig all along. You're about to be <laughs> proven correct. Uh, Sarah's sister is fucking hot. Yeah. And I never noticed 
before enough yeah. to like care. Yeah. But as I was watching this time, I was like, Sarah's sister's banging. Sarah's <laughs> sister is hotter than Sarah and is hotter than Hallie. Right. Totally shallow into discovery, but as I just I was like, wow, Sarah's sister. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, I just hadn't noticed before. I don't disagree. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think around the time that this movie came out, um, Kate Beckinsale was kind of coming on the scene, so she was at least to American audiences. So there's probably a lot of fascination just with like, ooh, Kate Beckinsale, she's really hot, and she's she's very attractive as well. Yeah. Um, but just when the when the sister popped up in the scene in the club, and they're finding out that they can house it and everything, I just immediate reaction was just like, okay, yeah, right, 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 yes, <laughs> Sarah's sister, what is up? <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't. I I do not. I can't disagree with that. That's for very sure. random new discovery, yeah. but an important one for me. Yeah. Watching this movie the other day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fair. I I should have looked up her. I should have went further and tracked her IMDb down. I was just wondering, like, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen her in anything else. I can't, I can't think of where she would have been. I didn't even write down the actress's name, so yeah. it's, you know, I I was being I. That was a selfish moment. Like I was taking the the watching seriously. That was just a moment that got me. If you cared about her career, it wouldn't be you know it wouldn't be about about her looks. You know, it's all about you know you got you got to focus on what it's really about in that moment. I understand. I get exactly, it. exactly. <laughs> what do you think about this new discovery? I found it jarring that Sarah ran out from this club and had to light up a cigarette with the match. And I like not jarring in like a uh, take me out of the moment way, but like this doesn't feel right. This feels weird. Why is Sarah lighting up with a match? And so I was trying to analyze that. I was like, what what is off about this scene? Is it the match? Is it the fact that there's a woman lighting up a cigarette in in the protagonist nonetheless? Like, so I was trying to figure out why did that feel weird? And maybe you can help me with that. But the discovery was just that scene feels off. It doesn't feel right for this lead uh, character to just be like, I need a cigarette and going out and doing it. What's that about? What do you think? Pretty random. I that It stuck out to me when I was watching it as well. Um, the, the match part, I don't know if that matters or not. To me, when it when, when she couldn't light it, though, and it went out, I, I just took that as like another, like, yeah. fate was saying, like, you're not meant to smoke this cig. You know? <laughs> right. It... It, they hadn't shown her smoking or having a desire to smoke prior to that scene, right? Like she's not no. smoking anywhere else in the movie or no. mentioning a cigarette or anything like that. Not that I'm aware. Yeah, of, it's no. it's very random. Um, but yeah, the fact that it goes out and she doesn't smoke, uh, I, I'm thinking like just plays into the whole she wasn't meant to have that cigarette because it went out. And then isn't that in the moment that she sees the cool hand loop? It is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's connected to that in some way. I'm thinking like the cig goes out, she doesn't smoke it. She's kind of exasperated by the fact that the wind blew the, the match out. And then she kind of like turns her head and then there's the cool hand loop poster. Yeah. Who, you know, if she would have lit the cigarette and smoked it, maybe she doesn't turn to the left where the wall the poster is. Maybe she turns to the right and starts like blowing the smoke out into the air. Yeah, um, I mean that—that that was my thought watching that because that scene stood out to me too. I was like, "That's kind of random." Yeah. Do you think there? Do you think there's something to dive into with the whole concept of a female protagonist lighting up being non-mainstream and weird to see? 
Because, like, if you go back far enough, all of the famous female actresses had the, you know, the fancy dresses and the long cigarettes and the, the mm. cigarette holders. But, like, yeah. if I'm if I'm analyzing, like, the movies that I watched in my lifetime, you don't see a lot of women smoking. You see men smoking. You know what I mean? And I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out if there's something there. If there's something that, that just, like, broke with some kind of, like, uh, mold that had been put, put in my brain by somebody. I would need more from her character to say that it was a, a subversion in some way. Like, you know, because we we sort of talking about how the movie had subverted some of the usual tropes yeah. in some ways. So that could be another instance where they're doing that. As you're mentioning it, yeah, it's a female character and it's it's not the 20s anymore. We're just everyone right. smoking in like the, or the 50s <laughs> right. or whatever. And the women have the holders. Um, it's, it's, it's 2001 and, um, yeah, a lot of times in movies, it, they want you that sort of angel in the attic type. They want you to think the woman's pristine, doesn't yeah. dirty yourself like that movies do that. So the fact that she does go out to smoke, it, maybe that would be a subversion, but if I was going to apply that critical analysis, I'd have to see some more stuff yeah. where she was doing things like that. And I don't know that there's anything else in the movie like that. I don't think so. No. So it do, it is random, yeah. and, it, and if it, if it's meant to just to get her outside to see that poster, they could have done anything else in the world to make her go outside. So right, literally, I think, just I, think, I need to get out of this building where Lars yeah. is doing this shit. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think probably just thought like, yeah, sure, let's have her go outside because she needs a smoke. You know, like a lot of times in movies or real life having a smoke can be associated with like a stressful situation, right? Especially when you see it in movies, like yeah. the character will light up when they're stressed out. Yeah. So in that moment, she was just probably super stressed and they thought the best way to show that would be to have her go outside and quickly try to light a cigarette. Cause like a lot of times, like the, the character's like disheveled and like nervous and they're just like, they need to calm down. So and like she was, to light up. she was totally, she was. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think to show that happening, that's probably, probably why they did it, that she was like, feeling nervous, feeling anxious, something's not right here. And then it also led her to the poster. Um, It is random. You're right. Yeah. I want to say too, like celebrities who smoke in real life are always interest me. And I, I don't know that I can explain that fascination. Um, But probably for the same reasons we're talking about, you also think of celebrities as being like, I don't know, pristine pieces of history. (laughs) Yeah. Just perfect in every way. Um, and so celebrities that smoke, I just, that, it's interesting, right? Cause they're, I mean, they bleach their teeth. They do all these things cosmetically to make themselves look more beautiful. Obviously smoking is something that is sort of negatively affects your health, but I feel like Kate Beckinsale is a smoker in real life, or at least was at one point. I feel like I've, I, 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 apparently Earnshaw has a fetish of looking up celebrities who smoke. <laughs> Check my Google history. Um, so I'm wondering, like, did she just maybe that was an actor, an, an actor suggestion. Yeah. Maybe she thought, oh, I'll just go out and have a quick smoke, like, right? You know, yeah. And it just feels they, like they wrote it in. It feels like smoking and, and gen, uns, non non gender specific. Like it, it just seems like smoking is a very regular thing that people do. But for some reason, when you see it, it's just in a movie like that. It was jarring in that moment. And I, I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to explore that because I, and I, I wonder how much of that is just the act of, like you said, a celebrity, the protagonist in this movie is a celebrity, right? Lighting up if that's the jarring factor or if it's the fact that it's a woman and you just don't, 
I don't see that a lot in film. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, interesting to me that you were jarred as well by it. it it's because it's just random. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, it's really like, there's no scene prior where we see her like contemplating life, like sitting, you know, there's like a lot of scenes where people are smoking in movies, they're contemplating something. Or as I said, they're like, they're stressed out. So they like, go out on their balcony and they're like overlooking the city and they're having a smoke while they contemplate what's gone wrong. But yeah. there's nothing like that prior to that scene. She's not having a smoke at any point in the movie. Right. So that she does in that moment, yeah, it does feel a bit random. Um, I have to take it just literal, which is like I'm saying, like a lot of times that's a that's a plot device. Oh, well, we need to show that they're stressed out. We're going to have them like smoke a cigarette or have a drink. You right. know, it's like one, yeah. partake in some vice. <laughs> so in that instance, it was her going to smoke a cigarette and going outside. She'd be able to see the poster. Hell, yeah. I assume you could have smoked inside. It was 2001, so she could have just stayed inside <laughs> the bar and, and done it. But it is sort of a weird moment, yeah. Um, I don't know what kind of discussion we can get out of this, but um, it, this was more of a new discovery when I, I was saying I watched it recently in 2019. Um, but I reiterated this time, this movie is incredibly short, and it feels short. It's exactly a, one milliardo physical therapy session. Yeah. An hour and 30 minutes? <laughs> Pretty much. 90 minutes, baby. <laughs> yeah. It feels short. For better or worse, I don't know good or bad thing. Like, you don't want movies to overstay their welcome. So I think it's positive in that respect. But in some ways, I think, too, because, like, the leads aren't on screen together a lot, it it doesn't feel as meaty as it could. And when it's over in, like, 90 minutes, it's like, okay. Yeah. Well, there the movie is ended now. Like yeah. I was watching it, and it was almost over, and I was like, "I've just started this movie. <laughs> I just pressed play. What's happening?" Yeah. You know, and maybe that's coming off of like booze reviews. We were watching three hour fantasy epics or something, but um, and that's why you hit play again, and you just you watch it in the background, and then oh, the next Jesus. day, and then the next day, and <laughs> month and a half passes. And I appreciate movies that get in and get out. Like I, a lot of, especially these days. Like films gotten to a point where everything that that wants to be considered a film or wants to be considered important has to hit the two hour mark or something. Right. So it's nice to see a movie with some brevity that makes its case and I think does it pretty well. We'll we'll, we'll do some conclusion stuff, but um, yeah, it's 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 short and it feels short, and I, I don't know what to do with that. Like even sometimes you'll watch a movie and it goes by so fast, but you don't linger on that thought. But when I watched it recently, 2019, myself and Lady Earnshaw had that discussion. Like this movie is this movie is is over. What? And then again, watching it the other day, I was like, wow, it's done. (laughs) Um, I have to think it has to be a good thing for the most part, right? You're enjoying the experience, so the time goes by fast. and it's light and it's airy and breezy and you're you're sort of in and out of these characters lives very quickly in this span of you know however many days not counting the the beginning uh and then the eight year jump but just from the time that we are in with them in the present to when they get back together at the skit at the ice rink um it's it's brief i mean it's it's very brief disney that's disney level right pixar yeah, an hour and 30 minutes. Yeah. So I don't know what kind of analysis that deserves or if that's just observational thing that I'm having, but it, 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 it's short and it feels short. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
my new discovery. This is very minor and petty, and I don't care. Eve did not touch her birthday cake. Sarah got her birthday cake. No, did she? Someone got her birthday cake. I don't know if it was the if it was the serendipity uh, coffee shop. Yeah, right. They just bring it to the yeah, table because they and saw say, her ID. Like, it's on the house because Sarah's the worst friend ever. But someone got her birthday cake, and she didn't even touch it. She literally did not take a single bite, and they left. I did not notice that. And that is fucking rude. That's what I'm going to say about <laughs> that. That's my new discovery. I didn't even notice that. I think that's like unless the food is essential to the plot of the movie or the scene. Yeah. How many times do you see like the actors sitting there in front of like a full plate of food and they never take one goddamn bite, right? Like, you're, you're just making an apologetic for Molly Shannon right now. That's all this is. You're just trying to justify and rationalize <laughs> your favorite character. That's okay. That's okay. You're right. You're right. She <laughs> might be my favorite character in this movie. Damn. <laughs> it's tough. I want to talk about the side characters in the prey, in the prey section. But, yeah. Uh, so maybe, maybe I am, but I didn't, I didn't notice that. Like I was maybe dialed into their discussion in that moment. Um, because things are really starting to come to a head right then, like it's it's really building. Uh, so I didn't I didn't notice that. Yeah. My last new discovery, uh, and and I again I don't know if this is a new discovery or something I've always sort of turned over in my head, but watching it again, I'm like, what Dean wrote for Jonathan his best man speech. Um, he said, you know, I was like up all night doing this, and this is what came to me. Was that with the information that he knew already that the wedding was off? Or he wrote that prior to knowing that the wedding was off? Because the way that the, the obituary is worded, and I love that obituary, and that's in my yeah. play section. But the way that it's worded, uh, it would be a really shitty best man <laughs> speech. But he says that's what he wrote, right? Or am I misunderstanding? He calls like, he does that, call it a best man speech, but he also specifically says Jonathan Traeger lost the love of his life and his soulmate. There's so there's no way you can square that and have that be a real best man speech because he's Yeah, he's out. not reading that at the wedding. Yeah, there's it couldn't. There's no way he could. Yeah. I mean, it's just bizarre, period, because it's yeah. like he died of a broken heart and um and Okay, that that syncs up with what Jonathan's going through with Sarah, but yeah, uh, I just it, again not a new discovery, but something I've sort of often thought about, and I'm trying to get yeah. to like what what's what. And it's great, it's written yeah. awesome, well written, it's written awesomely. But what is he getting at there? Uh, and was that his real best man speech? When did he write that? Because they were together, <laughs> had to have been on the plane on the way back from Kansas, L.A. <laughs> Right. My my presumption is like this is this is him going through the motions and giving his buddy something that should have happened but didn't. But you're you're right. There's no way he could have written that preemptively. It had to have been done after with the information of after they were they saw hotter Sarah with boyfriend. Right. It had to have been after all that happened. There's no other way he could have had all that information. Yeah. And I don't know how you could tweak a best man speech that is appropriate for a wedding with Hallie, you know, written a month ago or whatever, and then tweak that to what was presented in the movie. There's just, you know, night and yeah. day. There's no way. I'm thinking he must have had, like, the real one already written, right? Like, is that the new discovery I'm having right now? Like, I'm talking myself into it. Like, surely yeah. he had the real one already written. Yeah. And then he wrote that one just to help Jonathan out because he knew his friend was, like, broken heart. Either that or he really was waiting to the last minute and he was going to wing that shit. <laughs> you know 
Which he, the movie presents him as having a way with words. Yeah, so like that yeah. would make sense because that's part of his backstory. We'll get to that. That's my that's in my new discoveries. Dean's backstory. Those are all my new discoveries. So if you want to fill us in on these backstories, um, sure, by all means. Since we're talking about Dean, yeah. Dean Kransky, what a great name! Love it. Dean's backstory. Um, I call it specifically Milliardo's add-on backstory. Dean was a philosophy major. Um, and how do we know this? Because he says. Do you remember the philosopher Epictetus? No one that's not a philosophy major would ever say the sentence, do you remember the philosopher Epictetus? Uh, I love how John was like, uh, no, of course not. (laughs) That's such a great response. Yeah, definitely. Besides that, he's also always quoting the Greeks. Um, He's like, um, do you remember uh, the Greeks didn't write obituaries. They just had one question. Did he have honor? Yeah. so he's he's all about Greeks. He's all about philosophers. Um, he was a philosophy major. He was a philosophy major who uh, graduated with a useless degree. And I, I can say that with love as someone who was almost a philosophy major. And he uh, went out into the world and good for him because he got a job at the New York Times. Um, so, yeah, probably the, the most successful philosophy major from his university in a decade. That is the backstory of Dean Kransky. Uh, that's a pretty good backstory. I'm pretty solid on that one. I mean, he has aspirations for being like some sort of great writer, right? Yeah. Whether he's going to write like a fiction book or, um, he wanted to win, you know, his, his, obit, the obit he wrote for Jonathan mentioned that he himself had, had won a Pulitzer at that point. So, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he had aspirations for doing some sort of great writing. He seems very educated. I mean, all the, all the philosophy name dropping that you mentioned, like, you know, that, that's that's pretty cool. Like Epictetus is deep in the weeds of philosophy. And obviously this is a screenplay. But like you assume this is his character knowing this stuff off the top of his head. You don't know Epictetus unless you were deep in the weeds. It's just not, I, you know. I, I do not. Right. Yeah. No. IMDB is telling me that the character's name is Dean Kansky. Kansky. No, no R. No, <laughs> not Kransky. Dean Kansky. <laughs> I got a couple of, uh, I'm going to call these pandemic new discoveries. These were things that stood out to me on this watch because it just seems weird. And it made okay. me push the envelope about how weird these things are because everybody's a little different now. One of them is Dean kissed Hallie on the lips to say goodbye. That's fucking weird. Weird. And like, do people do that? Do they people kiss the bride? That never happened in my life. I never did that. I mean, they'd have to be super close. I think that's another yeah. movie trope you see a lot where yeah. people kiss on the lips when they like see each other or say goodbye. And, you know, it's not like a European cheek kiss thing. This is like, no, he goes for a full-fledged smooch on the lips. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That caught my attention this time as well. I could probably <laughs> add that to my new discoveries list. Like, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they must they must be pretty close. Yeah, so they had to all go to college together, and and <laughs> they've right. been together that long. That's like, right. Absolutely, fifteen yes. years. Fifteen years. Yes. Yeah. Um, next pandemic new discovery. Uh, I call this one "Find a Jacket in the Park." Dot dot dot. Free pillow. Like, who does that? Like, would can you imagine going to a public park in New York City, no less, and finding a random jacket and be like, "Yeah, this will be this will be a good pillow." carrying it with you and putting it behind your neck like i don't know i man. wouldn't have touched that fucking thing <laughs> right. for a million bucks like what the fuck no i, w- I would have just been like ooh, like yeah you know full summer first... roberts like ooh. <laughs> no 
<laughs> when I first saw this movie, that didn't even occur to me. But this time I was just like, what the fuck, man? What? And I have one more discovery. Last one. Um, when they connect to the end of the movie, Sarah knows exactly what's going on. But John has no fucking idea. Sarah knows that John canceled the wedding, presumably for her, right? Because fate is working in her favor now. So she yeah. knows they're they're going to get together. John just saw what he believed to be Sarah banging, right? So he thinks yeah. she's gone. So that's that uneven playing field that they meet at where she shows up and it's almost like a ghost to him because there's no way. He was just in L.A. or whatever. Um, that was interesting to me. It's, it's very uneven. Like she knew exactly what was happening and he had no fucking idea. It's really cool. We've had a lot of the same thoughts because, yeah, that's something I've never thought of before until this watch either where – Again, you know, we know we're going to be talking about this and analyzing a lot deeper, so I'm trying to pay attention to stuff like that. But I had the exact same thought. She knows he didn't get married. He has no idea that it wasn't her that was sexing it up with her. <laughs> Douchey worst boy. actor in the movie. Yeah. Wearing the underwear on his head. Like, if you know that there's a way to show your character is not cool, it's right. have him do that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that... I mean, presumably, she would just... They'd have a conversation two seconds later where yeah. he was like, but I could have sworn... You know, yeah. or they would laugh about it an hour from then while they're sitting down having a coffee or something. Right. Um, but yeah, that <laughs> caught my attention this time as well when I'm making notes. I'm like, that's, that's bizarre. Yeah. yeah. He's happy to see her, so that makes sense. But an hour or two later, I'm going to be like, well, so by the way, um, I did this thing where I flew to Kansas to find you and, you know, and then explain the story. And when I'm sure they would have sussed it out. But in the, in the moment, yes, I had the exact same thought. Yeah. She knows what's up. He doesn't know what's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, man. That's it for me. You ready to go to your uh, secret special quiz? Yes. Every time absolutely. every time I do this, it gets more secret and more special. You never see it coming, and that's what I love about this <laughs> quiz. And actually, there wasn't one in the Donnie Darko episode because we lost it in that first night of Lost Audio. Mm. And there's no way to recreate that moment. <laughs> we, by, we bypassed the quiz, yeah. But you do have one tonight. So, uh, yeah. Next up. Is there anything else you need to know about me? Huh. Favorite sexual position? Oh! Whoa! 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 Yeah, that's my favorite too. So, this is not the hardest quiz you've ever done. It's not the longest quiz you've ever done. But it is the most tailored to Earnshaw quiz Ooh. that I have ever made. All right. All right. So we've done Lord of the Rings versus porn. Um, this, this called for something different. This called for something that had like a bit of comedy and a bit of romantic tension. And I was like, what would Earnshaw enjoy? So your quiz is 10 questions, randomized quotes using a list randomizer because that's how I roll. Um, and the quiz is serendipity or the OC. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's so, I, and I just like name dropped Summer Roberts like five minutes mm -hmm. ago. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. Super excited right now. Yeah. Now this first one, um, you're going to have to help me with as in, I'm going to have to text you because it's a two person quote. I'm going to text you the line you have to say. And then you're going to, and then I'll, I'll finish it. So I'm going to text you. All right. So question number one, serendipity or the OC. Those eyebrows are out of control. 
It's a sign of power, you know. Well, then you must be the most powerful man in the world. It it has to be the OC because Sandy Cohen's eyebrows are legendary. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, has, you're you're correct. It you're has correct. to be. Yeah. You know what I was hoping to trick you with? What's up? What? Eugene Levy. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. That was my angle. I was trying to play the angle. I was like, maybe he would think this is Dean and Eugene Levy. <laughs> Man, Sandy Cohen's eyebrows, though. Not much you can do about that. Nope. All right. Well done. Um, question number two. Um, the OC or serendipity? That's sweet. It's pathetic, but sweet. Hmm. Tough. I want to say the OC for this one as well. That feels like something Summer would say in response to something that something that Ryan did or Seth did. I don't know who said it, and I don't know when they said it, but it is the OC. You're correct. Right on. It has to be Summer. That is such a Summer quote. <laughs> yeah, you're doing well. Uh, so two for two so far. Um, question number three: uh, Serendipity or the OC? I thought you were through with all this new age bullshit, feng shui, all that crap. That is the legendary Molly Shannon's character <laughs> Eve from Serendipity. It is. Yep. Well done. And that's in that scene well that done. I love where she's like mocking the lady buying the candle or whatever. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. Question number four, uh, Serendipity or the OC. It's fate. It's destiny. We both like burritos. I don't remember that happening in Serendipity. And, you know, I just (laughs) just watched it this week. So I got to go to the OC. Even with the fate and destiny? Yeah, I mean, the burrito thing, I think that's that's what really sells it as being OC. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That California cuisine. Right. Well done. Four for four. Um, Question number five. Serendipity or the OC? Maybe the absence of signs is a sign. I think that's serendipity. That might be Molly Shan's character as well, or that might be uh, Kate Beckinsale's character. It's one of the two. No. You're correct about the movie. No, you know that. <laughs> Wrong about yeah, the yeah, character. That, so uh, John Cusack says that in, in, some, in yes. some part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Maybe the absence of signs is a sign. Yeah. yeah. Well done, man. Five out of five. Okay. Um... Question number six. OC or serendipity? Oh, I get it. I'm just here for the comic relief. Ooh, tough. That one's tough. One of these is going to get me. Trying really hard. Um, I want to say OC because it feels like a very Seth-like comment. Well done. Six out of six. It probably was Seth. <laughs> Had to be. Probably That's was. exactly like something yeah. you would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, question number seven. Uh, OC or serendipity? If we are to live life in harmony with the universe, we must all possess a powerful faith in what the ancients used to call fatum, what we currently refer to as destiny. I believe that is serendipity. Um, Do you remember where? Does that come from the obit that he reads? It does, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Figured you might latch onto that one. Okay, three more, and you have aced this quiz, all right? Nice. And I know this is important to you, because this is the OC. This is hitting deep, right? This is you, really you important. <laughs> I can't blow this. <laughs> you got to ace this. All right, uh, number eight, OC or serendipity? 
I just let her walk out of the party and I didn't say anything to her. And now she's gone forever. I mean, she was my soulmate. Oh man, that's got to be OC too, because I don't. There's no. There's no real parties that go on in serendipity. Just by like process of elimination of scenes, I feel like for sure that all that again sounds like a Seth quote about Summer is maybe him and Ryan go to a party or something, and then she leaves, and Seth doesn't muster up the courage to say anything. So I'm gonna go OC. That one is serendipity. Oh no. That was the therapy scene with Kenny, where he's talking to her, talking uh, to a therapist. He's talking about the love of his life. I got him. You got, got him. I got thought him. one of them was going to get me. Yeah, you got yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, seven out of eight. Seven out of eight. Question number nine. Uh, serendipity or the OC. If you want to improve, be content to be thought foolish and stupid. Ooh, that's tough, too. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, those could be wise Dean Kansky words. Not Kransky? Those could also... Not Kransky. <laughs> Kansky. Those could also be wise Sandy Cohen words. Isn't it amazing man, the one... overlap? There's eyebrows. There's yeah, yeah. there's comic relief. There's yeah. quirkiness. Yeah. Soulmates. Yeah. Right. Um, it was meant to happen. It was destiny. This quiz. Yeah, this, honestly, this one's tough. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I think I gotta go serendipity on this one. You're correct because that was the quote from the philosopher Epictetus. Okay. Fact. Yeah. I mean, that, that honestly, I was leaning towards serendipity, but that was also kind of a guess because I yeah. wasn't feeling strongly about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got it, man. You got it. And the last question: OC or serendipity? I'm just having an allergic reaction to the universe. Hmm. That's also tough. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You came, you came on strong at the end, man. These are, <laughs> these are. There is some overlap. I would never have considered these two things in the same like sphere, but uh, you're, you were on it. <laughs> um, I think, I think I'm gonna go OC because it, again, it feels like a Seth kind of quip. I don't know who said it, but you nailed it. It is the OC. Well done, sir. Well done. You know, Earnshaw, I think you did really well. You did nine out of ten. That's a eight. That's an A in my book. Well done, man. Well done. I appreciate it, but considering I missed one, I might as well be called a failure. <laughs> Revoke uh... my OC fan card. <laughs> I will say the only one I missed, I didn't attribute to. I didn't get wrong about the OC. It was right. something that was said in serendipity. That's right. So. That's right. I'll take that to the bank at least. You just didn't watch Serendipity every day for a month and a half. That was your big flaw. That's that's what that's you, true. <laughs> that's, that's what you true. did. I, I used that time instead to watch the OC through about four times. There you so. go. You could. Yeah. You could. <laughs> yeah. Well, well done. Well done. All right, man. You ready for the next segment? Yeah. What are we doing? We're doing. We would. I guess we would do like general praise and good lines and stuff. Oh yes. You are a jackass. Well, thank you, you are. You, you, you're my hero. You know, you're, you're like my oracle and shit. Earnshaw, I can't let the elevator go. I cannot let the elevator go. It's in my praise section. Okay, that look as the elevator closes, though. Right? Yeah, that's that's good. He says so much with that little eye squint, where he's just like, "What the fuck is happening to me right now?" <laughs> I yeah. loved that they, look. They both have a good moment, before, and she has an awesome moment uh, before the door closes as well. Like, oh, like she leans up and is like, "I'm Sarah," and she has that yeah. like, "Yeah, yep, yeah, you're right." 
like you 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 want to date Kate Beckinsale in that moment. Um, and at least yes. at least that way you get closer to her sister too. You know, so yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the elevator scene. I I'm feeling that is your maybe favorite scene in the movie. Favorite little segment in the movie. There's so much there. There's so much to unpack. It is good. I do the the first ten or fifteen minutes is is really solid. I think um, I sort of said this already, but like it, I wrote this down in my praise section. But their meet cute is good. Um, it's nice. We talked about him coming on a little strong. He does. Yeah. But John Cusack is just like sort of affable and aloof enough to make it work. Right. Like, I never think of him as like an intimidating kind of actor or someone who is like larger than life or is off-putting. So he has enough charm, likability, sort of like not an everyman thing, but you know, it just seems, it just seems like a cool dude. He puts off that vibe. Right. So their meet cute is good. The stuff with the elevator is good when they're talking, like even uh, one of the lines I wrote down that I really like um, with something about her boyfriend and, and he's like, he's probably wondering or she's wondering what I'm doing trying to hit on someone else's the, girlfriend. Yeah. Someone else's yeah. girlfriend. Yeah. Right. Like that was a, that was a pretty cool line. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. So their whole, their whole beginning stuff while aggravating because of Sarah's insistence to leave it to fate. I mean, they're, they're, they're good together. That, that's a good little stretch. Right. Yeah. I wish they were in the movie together more. I, again, I applaud subverting some of the usual tropes by having them be apart the whole time, but um, might have been cool to see them together some too. Serendipity 2, 10 years later. <laughs> oh shit, 20 years later. One of my favorite bits is where Lars pauses the movie, his uh, music video, and there's the guy writhing in pain because of the Shania, and he goes... You don't think he hates the music, right? And <laughs> you see this producer who's trying to please this persnickety artist with a question that's very obvious. Like, yeah, it looks like he's dying right now. Um, and you just see that actor just being like, "No, I don't. I don't think he hates the music." <laughs> I love that whole bit so much. It was just a random little blip of comedy. Is perfect. It's stuff like that that helps, and not just serendipity, but it's stuff like that that helps flesh out rom-coms. Because I think with rom-coms, you, you run the risk of it being like super formulaic, like super by the book, paint by numbers, like you know what's going to happen, beginning, middle, end, they're separated, there's some obstacle, blah, blah, blah. That's true in this movie too, right. but little things like that sort of flesh out the world more and make a romantic comedy more fun. Like I think of uh, my best friend's wedding, like the gay best friend character. And, and like, he adds so much to that movie. Um, and that's what's happening with that scene that you mentioned. Like, it's just a cool little aside where we're sort of examining his career for a moment. <laughs> yeah. And it's so utterly ridiculous, <laughs> but I think that that I think that's cool. I think that's something that serendipity manages to do in a couple places. Um, we talked about the bromance between Dean and Jonathan, like yeah. little back and forths, little relationships like that, little scenes. Some of that stuff adds weight to the movie. I think it makes the movie stronger. So the scene that you mentioned, it that's funny. We talked about Lars's career being played for laughs, whether that was good or bad, but. 
just in the, it's like a standalone scene, enjoying it. The producer there trying to reason with him. Lars really taking it seriously <laughs> and being invested in his, his music video and career. Um, that's a strength that, that helps the movie. Yeah. Um, I, that makes it stronger, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, on that note, while we're talking about some some subversions, and um, I, I mentioned how the significant others aren't awful people, and that was nice, and and they're apart from the movie. That's a subversion. This is a small one, but I really like that Kate Beckinsale got to use her natural accent. Yeah, she wasn't forced to adopt an American accent. A lot in a lot of like American movies, you know. The character is clearly not American, but right. they make this person from this country or this country try to try to pretend that they're from America. And it's like, no, we can hear the Scottish bro coming through. I'm talking to you, Gerard Butler. <laughs> like, you're not a fucking American. Quit trying to play American. <laughs> like, you're very clearly Scottish, yeah. you know? So that's a small thing, but I, that really goes a long way. Like, you need those little character beats. Like, we don't really hear anything about England. Right. It's not really referenced outside of, like, hearing her accent. And her, her hot sister has the same accent. Yeah. Yeah. She might say it one time, and then, like, the the painter that they go to see, her old roommate, when he unveils the painting of her, it has, like, the Union Jet flag or whatever. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I appreciate that because that you don't see that enough. Like we're accepting of more stuff now and it's 2021 and we're more open maybe to letting like an actor maybe use their, their natural accent or something like, and I'm making fun of Gerard Butler, but I watched (laughs) Greenland recently and they actually acknowledge that he's not like from America, um, in the movie. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's small, but I like that. I think that was cool that they just let her let her be English who who's now living in America instead of making her try to use an American accent. Yeah. I like that too. Um, this was about to come up during new discoveries cause, um, it is that, but like, I, I fucking love Eugene Levy. He, he elevates everything that he's in. That's the new discovery portion of it. Like I remember seeing this movie and thinking that character was cool, knowing nothing about Eugene Levy. And then I continued to know nothing about his career for 20 years, roughly. And then I watch um, Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. And I'm just like, it's Eugene Levy. He's really good in this, too. And then I go back through and, and like, kind of look back at what he's done over his career. And it's just like, okay, this guy's legit. And so, you know, that that's all. Just like, I mean, it's a new discovery because I had no idea how amazing Eugene Levy is and what he does in his career. But it's also a praise because I think in this movie, he's just hilarious and he has a quirky character. He does quirky characters so well. And in this movie, he has this amazing quirky character that is just perfect for for, for the role that he plays. I loved it. Yeah, I wrote that down. What I just said, like Eugene Levy elevates everything. Like he's always good. Any role he pops up in, like that's another part of serendipity that works right like maybe they hired like another actor and it doesn't make a big of an impression but serendipity gets those points because they've got eugene levy in that role <laughs> right and uh and and he kills it and in, in just the few scenes that he's in yeah um so yeah continuing to talk about like filling out the world and giving serendipity those little beats and sides that make it better maybe than it is or stand out as sort of a romantic comedy he's he's certainly a part of that yeah yeah for sure um we talked about this 
sort of uh, towards the beginning. Um, but just I want to point out, I think another thing that elevates uh, Serendipity, and there there are tons of movies that do it better. So I'm not saying Serendipity's soundtrack is like the greatest of all time or anything. But there are good musical cues um, throughout the movie. Uh, and some of them have stayed with me. There is a, an instrumental by David Gray that they use in the movie repeatedly. Um, I don't know enough about like music or music theory or instruments even, but it's like a little string theme that they sort of play throughout the movie in different scenes. Um, and I can hear that in my head even now, like that, that's resonated. Now I do like David Gray, so maybe that's why, but, um, that's cool. Was that January Rain? January Rain. Yeah, yeah. I love like, that that's song. A, that's just a cool little instrumental that they use in the movie. Yeah. And I think that that's so cool. They just plucked David Gray instrumental and put it in there. Like, yeah. it feels random to me. Like, if you're a David Gray fan, you're like, David Gray pops up in this serendipity <laughs> movie. Like, one of the songs does. That's so cool. Yeah. Um. So, we, David Gray, we mentioned Annie Lennox earlier. We mentioned the little jazzy track that they play as they're like in the warehouse and she's on the plane. I looked up the title of that one earlier, didn't write it down, but I listened to the whole song because I was like, I've never actually just sat down and listened to this song on YouTube. I've just always liked it in the movie, like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like it pops up a couple of times. I want you to um, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Like good musical cues in the movie. Um, yeah. Not and then there's another instrumental they do. It's not January Rain, um, that repeats itself, a little refrain that sort of happens uh throughout the movie as well. So at good musical cues. Yeah. I think that, that it, it gives some life to the movie. Um we talked about this with Donnie Darko, like a right. good soundtrack is gonna elevate the movie further and it certainly happens here. Yeah. I can think of a million soundtracks that are better, of course. I don't like own the serendipity <laughs> on vinyl or anything, the soundtrack on vinyl, but some good, some just some good, some good music in there. Yeah, I, I had the same note. We keep saying this because the movies that we've been doing keep having really good soundtracks for the moments, and they've been like delivering where they need to for all the movies we've done so far. But it's not that's not necessary. Like there are movies that have really shitty soundtracks. I remember going to movies and seeing like a scene where there's like this nice intimate moment in a rom com. And then it's like cut to scene. It's like I get knocked down, but I get up oh, again. Yeah. And then somebody's oh, like yeah. punching a punching bag. And you're like, what the fuck are you doing to my brain right now? For sure. It's so like they exist. We just haven't <laughs> absolutely done them for the show yet. Absolutely, we're bound to run across one. Like it's gonna happen where we just say like, what? Why did they put this <laughs> right. movie? Right, right, right. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you had mentioned uh, the friendship between Dean and John. Um, and John and Dean, their performances are just amazing, I think. I think the two of them are the strongest two in this movie, and I don't, I don't think it's close. Um, but I also think the, the friendships between Sarah and uh, Eve are also really believable. Like, um, the chemistry there is good, too. And, and that's what I, that was the general note. Like, they did a good job with the friends. Um, I, I see movies where there's not a good chemistry between the friends or – the friends are so generic. Yeah. Um, they could be any race, creed, religion, any name, face, voice, and it's all the same person in every movie ever, yeah. you know? And that yeah. wasn't, that wasn't the case here. These were, uh, you know, Dean, the philosophy major, um, they had backstories, <laughs> right? So yeah. anyway, they, they did a good job. I thought with those, uh, friendships, I thought it was, a, you know, 
I mean, that might be the main chemistry in the movie is the friendships and not the actual yeah. uh, relationship. So I think we I think we said that in an earlier segment. Yeah. But absolutely. The best chemistry is between Dean and Jonathan, for sure. Yeah. And not just in romantic comedies. I think it's easy in in any movie where you have a tertiary character to give them a couple throwaway lines. As you said, they could be anybody. They could look any way. They could be dressed any. It doesn't matter, right? They're just like somebody they slotted in there that has to like let the character like complain to, bounce ideas off of, you know, etc. And then like say like you've got this man or whatever it is, yeah, you know, yeah. Give the affirmation that the main the, the main character, needs. right? But in this movie. They feel real. The relationships feel real. Dean and Jonathan seems like such a true friendship. Um, Sarah and Eve to a lesser degree, but they feel like a good friendship as well. Yeah, um, it's solid. Yeah, I think I think it, it it you know we've pointed to I've pointed to a lot of things that I think make Serendipity stand out versus like maybe some other rom coms, um, and that's that's definitely one of them. There's solid friendships there. The tertiary characters side characters the best friends they are meaning something they're adding something to the plot they're making the movie you know feel special more special i mean when you hear dean's obituary or best man speech for jonathan that's an earned moment because you can appreciate the closeness between those two men yeah so you really feel the emotion coming from dean writing that like it doesn't feel like a moment where you know oh you could like you can't see the writer of the movie's hand in that one, right? It really it feels like a real moment. Right. Dean Kansky yes. uh, sat down <laughs> Dean Kansky sat down and wrote this for his friend Jonathan Trader. Yeah. On an airplane from Kansas. Slash LA. On an airplane. <laughs> that was the uh by the way, that was the last praise I have. I have a good light readings, but if you have some more, just uh go through them. Um we we touched on a couple. I'll let me run through those real quick. Yeah. Uh I so with the devil in the elevator, I wrote down cool touch with the devil interrupting fate. Yeah, because um, you're getting you're getting the balance of the cosmic forces, Sarah's positivity, and believing the universe will make it happen. And then this abstract idea of the devil um, disrupting it. So you've got the negative and the positive sort of fighting about and um, you know over the outcome. That was cool. Um, we touched on the large stuff. I just wrote down it's over the top, but it's funny, just random. Um, this is a line reading, but when they're talking about the schedule, uh, in the club and the, the, I guess his promoter, whoever's like, you think she will mind? I don't know if she'll mind. And then, and then he's like, honey, what do you think? And says so like, oh, it's fine. Lars like, she don't mind. Like <laughs> I cracked right. up. That was great. Yeah. That was, that was yeah. really good. Um, yeah. And then the last thing that's, that's not uh, a line or a line reading, um, as an English major, I absolutely loved that this movie probably forced people to go out and, and buy a copy or borrow a copy from their library of Love in the Time of Cholera. Yeah. Which, um, I don't know if you've ever read it before, but it's an awesome book. Its themes are applicable to, I mean, there's a reason they chose it. The, the book, if you know what it's about, it's completely applicable to the situation that Jonathan and Sarah are in. Um, and I can just imagine people who've never read that book or never yeah. heard of Marquez having to then go out and, and look up this book and then maybe they read it and hopefully they liked it. And they at least looked at the, at the front page to see if there was a phone number, you know, I, I hope yeah, so. Right. right? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I mean, that's just the English major in me. I, I'm like, I can just imagine 
you know, so and so somebody who's like who loves Serendipity. It's their favorite movie. And then they were like felt compelled to go and, and check out Love in the Time of Cholera and, and give it a read. Oh yeah. God, it's gonna sound so snobby, but I wouldn't be a true English major if I didn't sound this way. <laughs> but like the type of people that are going to see Serendipity don't strike me as the type of people that are also reading Love in the Time of Cholera. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so Or the people that are reading Epictetus for that matter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean, serendipity is making you think with this shit, man. Like, <laughs> right. We gotta give it. We gotta give it even more credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I like that. That's a good book. I, I enjoy Marquez a lot as well. So that that's just a cool little touch. By the way, Epictetus was like a really shitty Stoic, and he sucked. I just need to say that out loud. <laughs> like, like the Stoic the Stoic movement sucked, and of the Stoic movement, Epictetus was particularly shitty. I feel better about that now. See, and I'm the simpleton who watches Serendipity but doesn't know anything about philosophy. So <laughs> Serendipity is trying to reach everyone. Man. Right. Like, they're yeah. pulling you into all this shit. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Got any other uh, praise before we go to line readings? Uh, I think that's all my praise, yeah. I'm going to start out with just the very beginning when he goes randomly, that's a lot of tubas. Every time. I just like, I love these little, it had nothing to do with anything, just... That's a lot of tubas. Like, and, you, and it, little lines like that always make me wonder: was that was that ad libbed? Was that just ad-libbed. you know? Yeah. Is that just yeah. something that he thought that'd be a funny thing to say? Because it was. It was funny. Just yeah. Yeah. I I do appreciate those moments as well, and I do like trying to figure out if when they happen, was it an ad lib or not? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times you can find trivia on the net about that kind of thing. I didn't see anything for serendipity about ad libbing, but um. That is the kind of line that would be right? would be an ad lib line. Yeah. Um, this isn't so much as a line reading, but like a comedic timing. But when he he rings up the suit and he's like, "Well, you need more to push me over the limit," and then he's like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever." He's like, <laughs> "He's like, give me something," and he's like, "Croc, the shoes are crocodile." But like right <laughs> as he lifts the shoe up and says crocodile. John Cusack slaps it out of his hand. So good. That is like, that's, that is awesome comedic timing. Yeah. That's like perfectly timed. Yeah. Like directed to within an inch of its life in the best way. Like <laughs> they just nailed that shot, man. That was, yeah. that was really good. And I laughed at that. Yeah. That is so good. That is so good. I had one from that same scene, which was, uh, stop saying that or I will cut you. I always thought that was such a weird thing to say on, pa- <laughs> on paper. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say in real life. I will cut you, you know, like what kind of weird threat is that? That feels like a very junior high kind of like comeback, right? right? Like, I will cut you. But he said it and it was great. I loved it. I loved it. When they're trying to get the information from the like college age kid at the housing agency or wherever it yeah. was. And they, he, he gives them that big speech, whatever, like that whole thing is good. But I particularly like like you're a couple months out of college and you're already part of the establishment. Man. Like that. I really like that was funny. I laughed at that. That whole scene is really good. Like the whole speech he gives him about like working for the man. And yeah. Hey, it's a whole tirade. I didn't write all of that down, but that that's a really cool part. And that line in particular, I, I thought was funny. I laughed at that. Well, there, there's that moment where John looks over at Dean, like you're still going. And he's just stunned at what Dean's doing. Like he has yes. that kind of like, yes. what? <laughs> that's one of those moments yeah. where the friendship it feels like a real friendship yeah. between two people yeah. like absolutely yeah. man like i appreciate those sorts of things like it you know again you can have those side characters and they can be so just one note nothing characters but like that is a lived-in friendship moment like you're right he's looking over i'm like totally impressed by what's happening 
that that's a cool scene. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to toss out a Molly Shannon because I, I, I love this quote from Eve. My favorite quote of hers in this movie, which is, you know who plays golf? Guys that are too fat to play tennis. Like this guy. <laughs> I just, I love that so much. Uh, that was good. Yeah. And it, it's great too that it's followed up by her getting like demolished by golfers, right? So it's like yeah. a bit of the <laughs> payback. I laughed yeah. out loud like at that scene where she gets hit with the golf ball <laughs> and then she gets hit in the head with the golf. Like there's not really like slapstick comedy in this movie. But that's, that's it. Like, if, that's, if you have but it. But that's it. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, I mean, that's, and I think it's, Maybe the only instance of it happening in this movie. I could say um, also the the dog tripping the golf ball guy. Okay, but yeah, but like that might be it, really. Those two things. Yeah, yeah. But so that that is funny. It's random, but that that was funny. Yeah, yeah I do like that. the The next one I'm going to read also involves Molly Shannon, although it it's said by Kate Beckinsale. So the whole exchange where they meet uh, Hallie's parents outside the elevator. And she, they think that they're together yeah. as a lesbian couple, but they're not. And then um, she's like, well, I'm going to go talk to my fiance, who's a man. And then the, the mom, <laughs> Hallie's mom is like, you must be very proud. <laughs> and just like deadpans it really straightforward. That is, that was really funny. Good, yeah. like comedic timing on that one as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was solid. Yeah. I don't know if you caught this because I didn't catch it until one of the later viewings of my many, many viewings. But there's this moment where the minister or, or priest or whatever who's who's doing the rehearsal, he's giving them the cues. He had just given Jonathan the business for not paying attention, right? He had just been like, and you'll be looking at Hallie, of course. Everybody laughs at him. And then so they're doing the, the their stuff and then this person comes over and interrupts this rehearsal which would not happen. And the minister is just like, and, and then, and then you're married and he walks away and everybody's okay with that. And, uh, I, I, I remember finally I got to that point where every time I heard that line, I started laughing out loud because it is just so ridiculous. But the way the priest delivers it, I don't think is a, a, a flaw. I think it's well delivered. I think that is the definition of a well delivered line. It's weird that you would accept this premise that, in a rehearsal, first off, Hallie would not have accepted that. That would have not been okay, right? The, the, this lady just pulls this guy away, and then you're then you're married. Blah blah blah. That wouldn't have happened. But the way he delivers it, and then then you're married, and he goes about his business. So good. I loved it. I started cracking up every time I every time I heard it. That didn't register. Yeah. I want to fast forward to that part just to see that now. Yeah, it stands out once you notice it. And once you notice it, you start, at least for me, I started laughing every time. I was like, that's that's funny. That's good. I'm going to have to cue the movie up to that scene just <laughs> yeah. to see it, I feel like, later because I want to see that because yeah. it sounds like it's really good, but it's never. I've never like caught that before. Well, because no one even acknowledges it, right? <laughs> Everybody's just like... Go about their business. Yeah, that's fine. It's cool. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Maybe sort of like a symbol that all was not going to be well at this wedding right yeah um, yeah um that that's all my that's all my praise and all my all my funny or, or good line readings the the last one i have is just um with their first date um where she says favorite sexual position wipes the fuck out family guy style like <laughs> flat on the ice and you hear because the music's picking up, it's kind of loud, so it's kind of hard to hear. But you hear John Cusack say, "Oh yeah, that's my favorite too." <laughs> I don't know if that clicked either. 
So you need to watch that scene because it's hilarious. Like she wipes, she says favorite sexual position. He's like, uh, wipes the fuck out. And then as he's going over to, he's like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's my favorite too. (laughs) Great line. Great line. I'm going to have to look for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, love it. On that note, right before that, it's really fucking smooth when she says favorite New York moment. He says, this one's up there or this one's climbing up there. Climbing the charts. Whatever he says. That is so good. Very smooth. Oh, yeah. All right, man. You ready to complain about fate and destiny and shit? I'm ready. <laughs> we've been we've taken it really easy on this movie so, so far. So far, I feel like we might we need to come hard in the complaint section. All right, I'm ready. Cut. What's cut. the problem? Well, the problem is you can't fend off an army of bloodthirsty Vikings with a shanai. It's illogical. So I'm gonna start throwing bows here. In general, I really like the acting in this movie. I think the cast in general is very strong. There are two people that I hate. Two actors that I think are terrible. And the first one is the in the very first scene, actually. The old guy that they have to explain their trans uh, boyfriend-girlfriend. Mm. Um, his acting is abysmal. Like, it's two days till Christmas in a New York City department store. He's trying to tell me to be calm. <laughs> it's like every time I see that guy, I'm just like, this is the this this had to have been the best friend of the producer or something. <laughs> like it's just not good. Hated him. And the other one, I brought this up before. I'm gonna say it again. Hot Sarah's sister's boyfriend. I don't even know his name. Is the worst character in this movie. Like you think his casting card had to have said two things. You have to say one line competently, and you have to pretend to have sex with a hot girl. That's it. That's all he had to do, and he fucked it up. I hate that kind of character in movies anyway. It's probably one of my least favorite like stock characters. Like In a lot of movies, you kind of have that like dumb boyfriend of the sister or like friend of the family, just like kind of like dumb. Like He seemed like sort yeah. of like a surfer dude. Kind of yeah. like oh, we're gonna be house sitting for, isn't that cool? Like y- you right. know, I hate those kinds of characters, and he is one of those characters. So I agree with you on him. I would have to go back and look at the old guy. Don't really remember. I'm more like listening to the story that they're selling at that point versus like paying attention to his right. acting. So yeah. I'd have to recheck yeah. that out. One hundred percent with you on the pot sister's boyfriend. It just yeah, I yeah just. Stupid. I hate that. I hate that kind of character. Yes. All he would have had to have done is said something like, um, she's hoping that you won't notice that we want to house it for you, wink face or something. But he's like, uh, she wants to house it for you guys. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God. Yeah, it's just I like can't, surfer, I, I stoner, dumb boyfriend. Yeah, that's, I just, yeah, I hate yeah, that yeah. kind of role. Yeah. yeah, I guess. Yep. Um, before I like start nitpicking like small plot stuff, Serendipity is a movie that you, if you're going to enjoy it, you have to go all in on it. You're either in, yeah, or you're not. The whole premise is absolute bullshit. So, can <laughs> right. you accept that and run yeah. with it, or can you just not from the get go? Yeah. It's an enjoyable enough movie to where it doesn't take me out of it but like with romantic comedies i mean that's they exist in this space where there's contrivances they strain credibility and believability i think that's one problem that that the genre has like romantic comedies it's just right it's just not believable a lot of times like and i get it love and you want to see the best side of it so it's almost like a fantasy world like 
one thing I can really appreciate it coming out after the fact that 9-11 happened is they've created this beautiful, like, New York movie in a way. Yeah. So that's cool. Right. But the world that they're living in is complete bullshit from the outset. Yeah. Set up by Sarah's yes. ridiculous, like, <laughs> deal with fate and, yeah, you know, what's going to happen and destiny and all that stuff. You have to buy into it to enjoy the movie. I think, like I say, you're in or you're out on this movie. I'll say for where, whether I'm in or whether I'm out for the end, but I'll just say like her whole plan sucks, and that and and that's <laughs> yeah. and that's the crux of the movie. Yeah. I mean, the whole movie is about this chance yeah. encounter that she doesn't want to see through because she thinks that Destiny needs to decide if it's right or not. Talk right. about like straining credibility on fucking movie premises, <laughs> especially when it comes to romantic comedies. Like you know, you have things yeah. that happen, contrivances happen. The part where he goes to the house and sees the sister and thinks it's her, those kinds of things happen in romantic comedies all the time. I mean, that's a plot device like that yeah. happens in a romantic comedy. It might not be that situation, but there's some misunderstanding that that prevents them from getting together a little bit longer than they need to be, okay? So right. serendipity is playing into those conventions and playing into those tropes that, like, I think can malign the romantic comedy genre. Um, but it's a big one. It's It's huge, I think. Yeah. You really have to just like check in. Right. I'm rolling with this. This is utterly absurd, but here we go. Um, yeah. It almost would have been better if it wasn't as recognizable to the real world as it was. And it was something almost like removing it from reality one step would make the whole thing a little bit less glaring. It's almost like if you put in a vampire or a centaur or some shit, you'd be like, okay, this is just a, a story. Yeah. And you can enjoy the story. But it so closely mirrors reality in a way that is impossible in reality. Yeah. And that's that that's that disjunction that's just it feels it feels awkward. I, I get that completely. Cause it is. You're right. The premise is bullshit. The whole premise is one thousand percent bullshit. I mean it's utterly absurd. It is. It, it completely. Yeah, you have to you have to buy in. Yeah, I think anyone listening would say like, well, it, I mean, that's that's an absurd criticism because it's the whole point of the movie, and they'd be right. Like, it, that's the whole movie hinges on this idea. It's just it's just a problem that the genre has. Like, I think with romantic comedies, they can be just really test your limit of like, is this believable? You know, test your patience, yeah. and serendipity plays into that with its entire fucking premise, not just like a, something that happens, not just a circumstance that happens later, not just a plot device, but the whole fucking premise. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's complicated. Whether yeah. you ultimately enjoyed the movie or not. Okay. We'll save that, but mm, difficult. Yeah. Starting from this conspicuously bullshit premise that there is a network of non, I guess, non-conscious, woven threads that's going to lead these characters back together necessarily um that's conspicuously bullshit it's conspicuously the the driving part of the film and you add into that all the standard rom-com features you know on a backdrop that's already problematic so it's different it's it's more problematic than your standard rom-com in that way it requires a bigger investment it requires a bigger buy-in than just sitting down for like uh Love Actually or The Holiday or any other rom-com that is more realistic with the way the world works. Yeah, and the problem with the the plot as well, um, and, the, and this is sort of my second thing, but it plays off the first one in what we're saying, but the, the major problem with that is like all the 
like the crux of the premise being, you know, leaving it up to destiny and leaving it up to fate and seeing what happens. And when going back to the questions, when I pose this to you, so when you start to see those missed chances and you start to see those contrivances and you start to see those coincidences, it, it sort of becomes a detriment. Like it feels false after a while. Yeah. And then I posed that question to you in the beginning because I really wanted to know, was it like, was it too much at a certain point? And I, yeah. and, and this movie really like toes the line with that. Like, I mean, there are just, for me, <laughs> yeah, they're to answer my own question from earlier. They're just, there are too many, like they don't, it's not cute after a while. It, it starts to feel really false. Right. So, whimsical i think is how you have to describe this movie if you want to believe in this stuff yeah. if you're not taking it too seriously it can be like super whimsical all these cute things are happening they're just missing each other ha 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 she sees the poster he gets her jacket and uses <laughs> it as a pillow like all that stuff can be cute if you're in if you're in love it if you're yeah. not it starts to feel yeah, really yeah. fucking false like it rings a false note sure. and if you're trying to sell me on destiny and fate it can't feel that way. It has to feel true. Um, right. I, it's complicated because like whimsical can be good and it should be good. I think, uh, but it, whimsical yeah. can also be not good. Um, it can, it can be really right. like schmaltzy in a way that's like off putting and very like twee. And yeah, just, I don't, I'm not buying into this because I'm so put off by these things that are going on and that happens a couple times in the movie for right. me i think like i say to, towards the end I start to get to be like okay you know i've had enough i want to see the two leads interact and it makes it worthwhile when they finally do meet up i totally get that you're building for that moment. Yeah. yeah but it's odd it's a strange construct for romantic comedy because the two people that are supposed to be together and you want to see together are together what a total of maybe 20 25 minutes of an hour and 30 minute movie that's weird yeah. that's weird <laughs> yeah 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 there's yeah, something yeah. to be said about keeping them apart so that when they do reunite it feels really cathartic and nice i don't know that the movie gets there and feels totally earned enough to make me like forgive all the other little bullshit you think if it was a little longer with a little more meat at the end that would yeah, that would help maybe yeah, yeah. maybe so um it, I I think there are a couple shortcuts and I think those near misses and the coincidences and things like that are meant to paper over those really obvious like this is some bullshit type right. stuff those yeah, feelings yeah, yeah. that you're having where you're thinking this is bullshit it's supposed to be cute enough that you don't care that this is bullshit mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the success rate is for me um, I'll save that for the end but. And, I mean that that's the that's the movie though. Like I yeah. say, it's like yeah. you're in this or you're not in this. Right. I don't think there's a middle ground here. It's like you loved this movie, you give it an A, B yeah. plus, yeah, or yeah. this is just fucking absurd. Right. It's like a D D plus. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um I I struggle with this one because I do think it's funny. The golf scene I said that was part of my praise was the line fat guys play golf or whatever. And then she gets creamed by the golf ball. But for some reason, like, it started to bother me the more I watched it that she should be dead. I mean, that was just too much, you know? Like, the golf that, ball to the head. right? Like, the golf ball to the head is the one thing, but the backswing. That would hurt. 
<laughs> she should be dead. Yeah. You know? I mean, they, that's another example of what I'm talking about. Like, this doesn't take place in the real world. This no. This movie does not take place in the real world. So I, I'm a user of this product, and I've bought it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to accept that there's centaurs and shit, basically. This is the this is the fate version of centaurs and elves and dwarves. Cool. I'm buying in. But still, still, with that buy-in, Eve should be fucking dead right now. <laughs> that, yeah. that was where I was on that one scene. Like, it just... Major concussion, at least. Hospital, <laughs> right. They'd have to take her ass to the hospital. Like She didn't eat yeah. the cake. She wasn't rude. She couldn't see the cake. Like, <laughs> she was she was blacking out. and, and She didn't her, know it was there. Her friend was too obsessed with this ex-boyfriend lover person that she, she didn't even notice, right? Yep. Um... Yeah, it, that's in line with with what I'm getting at. Like it just, yeah, yeah it's it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> it's not believable. It, yeah. Some of the stuff that I'm in this movie is just not believable. Whether that's the point or not, I don't know that I could separate like just enjoying it versus like seeing some of this stuff and being frustrated. Like along those lines, just keeping in line with what we're talking about. Um, so these are just little ones I wrote down where it started to add up for me, and I was getting annoyed. The cab miss outside of serendipity, the restaurant we missed. We mentioned that one earlier. Annoying. My least favorite where there's like a misunderstanding where they think they see something that's not true. That is a trope as old as time. Yeah. And I, I, I wish they could have done something different with that one. But the contrivance of seeing the sister and thinking it's Sarah. I think even the first time I saw the movie, that's one of those moments where you're just like, oh, really? It, you could do something more clever, I think. I think. Yeah. The movie is really smart in other places, so that scene's really dumb. Right. That's an easy and cheap way to further the misunderstanding, to further the separation. I think Serendipity's better than that scene. Like that that's my probably one of my least favorite scenes in the movie. Like it's just it's the cheapest, it's playing to the cheap seats, it's let we're gonna pull the one romantic comedy trope, let's do it. They pull that one and it's the worst scene in the movie. Like yeah. He sees the sister and thinks it's Sarah, and I'm just like, you know what? At this point, like, fuck off. Like, right. you know, no. It, it just, that doesn't work. Little things like that. Like, that's where I start to just be like, uh, okay, I can't deal. Cannot deal. Yeah. Well, this ties right into yours. So um, they show a scene where Sarah sits down at the golf place and puts her hand on the bench and touches some gum, moist gum, and she gets grossed out. And the director felt the need to flash back to Jonathan specifically chewing and putting the gum there. Yeah. Like, so you you can you can talk about is that is that little cross detail necessary? Period. But if it is, it would have been better if they had just shown Jonathan doing that, chewing the gum and wadding it up when he was there before, because he was physically in that exact same seat like mm-hmm. thirty minutes ago. I'm smart enough, like. I watched this movie 15 15 times in 15 days. You know, you didn't know I was going to do that, but I did. So give me the opportunity to notice that on my own. Let Jonathan put the gum at at minute mark 30 and then at minute mark one hour, let Sarah touch it and I will be smart enough to figure that out. You know what I mean? The cutback bothered me and I I could understand an argument where that's something that just didn't need to be in there at all. It didn't really do anything. It was another them trying to like jam these two characters together in every possible way uh, from a fate perspective. But yeah, that cutback, I was just like, it felt insulting, honestly. It felt insulting to me that they needed to show me. You want to believe that the filmmakers trust their audience enough to know. Yeah. 
it's also proof that they were factually putting that shit in there just to hammer it home, right? Yeah. That cutback is not it's not like you you can't you can no longer make the argument that they were just putting in elements and they overlapped. They were factually ramming it down your throat at that point. I mean that that dumbing down is such a de- detriment to movies. I mean, it you want to have faith in your audience to be aware enough and smart enough to pick up on those things without having to do the cut that you're mentioning. Yeah. Um, so when you do see the cut, you're right. It, it feels like it's been dumbed down a bit. They're trying to play to the people who didn't get it. But like, I think, I think people have to have gotten that and realized it without needing the like quick cut. And also like, there's so much of that. You don't have to have everyone understand the gum thing, right? Like, if people miss the gum was Jonathan's gum, that's okay. Like that, that can be the Easter egg for the people that really are into it. Yes. You know? Yes. Yep. Agreed. Um, that's my big, big stuff. The rest of my complaints are sort of plot specific and I feel like they're, they're more nitpicky. Um, well, let's pick some nits, brah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, well, this sort of ties in what we're talking about, but, uh, someone spending $800 for a name, that would only happen in a fucking romantic comedy. There's no way in hell that he's going to spend like oh, that much money to get her name yeah, from the, the salesman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it that yeah. that also places this movie in in not the real world. Yeah. It, in right. a in a in a world where 9/11 never happened. That's yeah. this movie like yeah. this this magical New York that exists. That <laughs> yeah. and the, there's something great about that, I guess, right. after it comes out and we've we've sat through 9/11 and now we're in a nice a nice place and we're getting a warm feeling from New York again. Cool. Um, but it, you know, again, it, it's not in the real world. It's in this whimsical <laughs> New York that doesn't really exist where ridiculous things happen and spending <laughs> that much money to get a name is one of those things. Yeah. And money is never an object in movies unless the plot needs to be about being poor or need to like get some money together to get the new uniforms for the team or, um, we got to right. do this fundraiser guys to save the school. You know, unless money's a plot point, it's never an object for a character. So right. the fact that he just throws eight hundred bucks, almost a thousand dollars, to get a name when there's no guarantee that this will even work is ridiculous. Yeah, and I get that it it's romantic and he's going through all the yeah. trouble. So it, it the idea is that he's willing to do anything to solve this. Um, I don't like it. Sell him yeah. one thing, make him buy something more reasonable. Add a little bit of reason to a scene like that, and it instantly makes it better. I think. Why did he have to buy purple though? Too like he could have bought man. he could he could have bought something that he liked. Anything, right? But he, <laughs> like he wastes money, but he doesn't even waste it on something good. <laughs> yes, stupid, very stupid. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like they did a decent job. We talked about this. They did a decent job with the depth of characters, tertiary characters. Um, but there were a few characters where they were so vanilla that I honestly actively confuse them regularly. And that's the parents of Holly and the parents of Jonathan. Like if you put them in a lineup right now, I could not tell you who was who. No, they, they just, they had to be there because there was a wedding happening and they had to have the parents, you know? But like, it, it's amazing to me that I literally watched this movie 50 times and I could not tell you who's Holly's parents unless it's in that one scene where uh, Holly and... Sarah and Eve, where the parents were there. Yeah. 
by the elevator we were talking about earlier. Yeah, that's the one way to, for me to know. But outside of that scene, I, I I still don't know. So I don't know if that's a proper complaint, but it is like it was surprising to me in a movie where they try to give so much uh, uniqueness to so many characters, and these characters who were there for far more than French painter guy or whatever, uh, who had a relatively developed, interesting character. Um, they're just so vanilla and they just kind of, you know what I mean? They just, they, they blend together. On that note, I think the same could be said for Hallie's character, unfortunately, who seems like a sweet person, but they absolutely did nothing to develop her. Like, you know, Lars kind of has some affectations to make him seem like a a real person, you know, he has some traits, you know, we get, we get a little bit of a sense of him. But they they did they did a definite disservice to uh, to Hallie's character. They, I mean, there's not much there. They didn't really bother to flesh out Jonathan's side of of things with this significant other. She seems nice. We've determined they've been together for a long time. That's <laughs> Twenty a, million that's a, years. That's about it, as far yeah. as it, I mean. I don't know that. Is there one like piece of information you know about her that bears like repeating or is important? Uh, she sucks at cooking. I mean, that's... She hates the kitchen. She <laughs> hates... I hate this apartment. Or whatever she says. Don't hit it with the thing. They, uh, they, they absolutely just were like, we're not yeah. worried about our character. You're right. You're right. Screw it. Yeah. Um, and, and that makes the Lars stuff weird. So while we enjoyed that stuff and thought it was funny, <laughs> it, it makes that part feel like it's a, from a totally different movie. There's some tonal stuff, I think, that happens in this movie that is, is weird. Like... You know, the whimsy stuff I'm talking about that makes it feel like it's not in a real New York. Yeah. Very serious idea of like, if you really start thinking about, like we talked about earlier, Jonathan going in this bookstore while he's with this other woman for years, <laughs> carrying right. a torch, like, and they don't, yeah. they really don't even examine that or touch on it, but that's happening. Like, that's fucking dark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. Lars comedy bits, which feel like they're from a totally different movie. Like right. they should. I'm surprised there was not a Lars <laughs> spinoff movie. It is so different from the rest of the stuff that's going on in this movie. The Lars Europe tour. There should have been a Europe tour movie. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They could have done that. I really am surprised they did. <laughs> um. So I mean, like her character is not existent essentially. I mean, she's just yeah. there because Jonathan's about to get married to someone, and it ups the ante. Um, I think a a better movie, a better romantic comedy, even would would flesh out uh, the significant others of both people, and you'd have a really well rounded quartet where you felt sorry for or shared emotions with um, all of the characters. But for her, it, she's just there. You know that he's not going to marry her, so she's just <laughs> there. She's just there yeah. as an obstacle. Yeah, and I think that's unfortunate when when that sort of thing happens in movies, um, and that that's the cross that she has to bear. Bridget Moynihan, right? Is that? I don't know. She's mousy. She's not important, you know. Right? What's her life? <laughs> yeah, Bridget Moynihan. It, she's just she's existing in that movie just to be in the way, and yeah. then she's the, she's dispensed with off screen, and we never <laughs> hear from her again, right. even though they were together for. We've determined 15 or more years at this point. Um, <laughs> fuck it. Yeah. Fuck it, I say. That's, that's true. Um, there, there's, some, it, there's weird tonal shifts in this movie. And that, I think, to its detriment. It, there's some weird stuff going on that's lightly touched on or completely ignored um, in service of an already pretty absurd plot. Right. That's true. Yeah. 
I agree. Dean's whole side plot with his wife feels like there was more there. Yeah. That they cut, and but it still exists in some form of the movie. Like, we see them being really happy and loving at the beginning. Then we don't really see them. And then all of a sudden he's saying, oh, things aren't good with me. And um, I forget his wife's name, but uh, whatever it is in the movie, right? Things aren't good with me and so-and-so. Yeah. Okay, where did that come from? Right. But, you know, they want to show that Jonathan's got the heart that he needs to make love work. So they just kind of threw in that line, or maybe there was more that they ultimately cut out of the movie. So it's just there's some weird things that sort of go on tonally, um, some like stuff where I kind of scratch my head and I'm thinking like what right. uh, that they don't really embellish and it's just hanging there. Dean's subplot with his wife, uh, uh, Hallie getting dumped off screen. We never hear from again. And I, now that we've determined they've been together for a long time, that's a whole <laughs> new element of darkness. Even that I've darker. Got to also yeah. reexamine serendipity with yeah um, so yeah it, it, some weird stuff going on i think i'm trying so hard to remember that girl's name i want to say like is it like vanessa <laughs> there's that one part where they're on the plane and, and he's like courtney courtney moved out courtney yes that's fucking it. hell yes, got yes. it oh whew. good work uh, my man courtney yep. right. <laughs> nicely done those 15 days in a row of watching it paid off that's right that's right all right, all I have left are bad lines. Do you have other things to throw in there? Not really. The other, only other things are small things. It never occurred to him to do to check the store account before. That bothered me. Mm-hmm. That's always bothered me. Um, he just suddenly had that idea eight years. Like, why did they never come up with that idea in the past? Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of stupid. Um, this is small, but but with the contrivances that we're talking about. It, she mentions that she got him the book because it's a first edition. You're always picking that up. It's a first edition too. If she was going to get him a first edition, she would have gotten him a nice first edition. Not a you know she would have gotten yeah. him one of the like yeah she would have gotten him one of the leather bound like fancy covered ones like you know they don't have the cheap sort of like paper cover across the front like right. she would have got him like that hard book in leather. Uh, <laughs> She would have gotten him a nice first edition. So that, you know, that that's not believable. She wanted the um, first edition with the phone number in it, right? Right. She had, she had to have that one. <laughs> Give me the one with the phone number in it, sir. You know, and here's the thing. I, I, I know this existed before, like, Facebook. But, like, real life, she would have gotten on social media and found out that he went and married the girl whose name was in the first edition that she bought him as a groom's gift. Uh, we need to check on Hallie, y'all, because right. she might not be okay. <laughs> she might not be okay. <laughs> so fucked up. Prayers uh, up for Hallie. Right, right, right. We were talking about how, how much we like U- Eugene Levy uh, as an actor, and he elevates stuff. That still stands. His character is needlessly a dick, though. <laughs> right. It's yeah. played for laughs, but I, that yeah. also plays into what I'm talking about with some of the tone stuff in the movie. It's just weird. Like... He, he acts like a total asshole, even though he is helping them. But it just feels like an odd thing that's happening. Like, right. you know, when he's grabbing the carbon paper back and forth. And um, the one weird part where he's sort of like leaning over his shoulders, massaging Dean's shoulders. <laughs> right. and, and picks up his phone when his editor calls. Like, 
that stuff doesn't work for me. I don't think. Yeah. I think the Eugene Levy character can be in there and and be difficult without yeah. being a total dickhead. <laughs> um, that's that's odd. Just the odd odd tonal things in this movie that kind of take me out of it or, or throw me off a little bit. All right, I'll leave it at that for my sort of Nick complaints. Are you ready for bad lines? Yes, I don't have any of those, so I'm eager to see what you came up with. So, um. And maybe maybe you can change my mind on these, but some of these just every time I heard them, I thought that the readings were really bad or the writing was bad, probably too. Um, the first two were Jonathan's, so it always bothered me. Where out of the blue, he was like, "So you going to meet your boyfriend now?" That felt like a line that you know what I mean. Like <laughs> no no one says that. Yeah. Like they're just chatting yeah. about other things. So are you going to meet yeah. your boyfriend now? No. Like that's no, no, a no. creepazoid way of trying to find out if she has a boyfriend or not. Like if you did that in real life, like the girl would think you were a creep immediately. Yeah. I just, I didn't like that line. I never, never did. There was one line where, uh, I talked about dialing up the sappiness too much where at the end where he said, do you miss your mom? I miss my mom terribly. And then he goes, if I were her, I'd miss you too. That to me was like, Oh, too much. Too much, yeah. too much, and yeah, but it corny. Was, that's corny. It was in a montage of really good lines, and maybe that's one of the, the the weaknesses of it is that without that line, there was so much good there. Like that one that you had mentioned, which was uh, this one's climbing the charts. Great line, yeah. super smooth. Yeah, the whole favorite sexual position, falling over. Oh, that's my favorite too. You know that was awesome. All that's so yeah. smooth, and then you know whatever. Um, I. Could not, I cannot stand the goodbye, my sweet lesbian lady lover. <laughs> so that that was kind of Molly Shannon's stick on SNL. Like that's I the know. Kind of thing, that's the kind of thing she did on SNL. So <sighs> I don't, I don't like that either. I think she's good in the movie without resorting to her like SNL persona. Um, I mean, that was a shout out to the fans, right? Like that's what yeah, that I, was for sure. That yeah. if you were a fan of her during that time and you enjoyed her her skits on SNL, that was absolutely. Yeah. Like, throw out for that i agree it's weird it sort of feels out of place in the movie it sort of takes me out of that moment because that whole scene beforehand is like really good and right. then they throw that in at mm-hmm. the very end of it mm-hmm. so that that could have been an ad lib as we were talking about ad libs earlier um, yeah because that's that's her to a t that's her, right. her comedy shtick um at least it was during her time on snl so yeah yeah and the last one was lars he comes to sit down by a distraught Sarah in the park, and he immediately leans back and goes, "Oh, look at those stars! They all—they all have names. I don't know what that is." Pointing to Cassiopeia. <laughs> I mean, it was just so stupid. So that's too stupid. on the nose. Yeah, that's that's uh, way too on the nose. Right. Yeah. Anyway, that that For that sure. line always. I'm just like, oh come on, no. So anyway, those are my bad line readings. Okay. Are we concluding? Uh, I think we're ready to conclude. Let's yeah. conclude. Jonathan Traeger, prominent television producer for ESPN, died last night from complications of losing his soulmate and his fiance. He was 35 years old. So, because I picked this movie, you should lead this, right? Yeah, like this is your conclusion. Does this uh, does this hold up? Does this accomplish what it came to do? Does this uh? What do you think, man? What's the obituary? Okay. What's the obituary for serendipity? <laughs> the, that's what we should have called this section, the obituary. Oh, don't worry. Right. I already got that sound clip queued uh, up. <laughs> okay, yes. Here we go. Um, and do, I, I want to ask some specific conclusion-type questions. 
Mm-hmm. But before I do that, I think like generally, like how do we feel about this movie? So yeah. if you enjoyed it back in the day, does it hold up? If you felt so so about it, have you gone in either direction? If you hated it, do you like it now? Like, where where do you come down on serendipity at the end of the day? I mean, there was really only one thing that I noticed that was like um, maybe test of time type material, which is the the whole little joke about a trans person in the beginning. When I was young, I didn't even notice that. Like, it didn't even. No. I don't even know if I understood it. Right? I was just kind of like, oh, that's weird. That's a joke. Yeah. And then I'm hearing it now and I'm like, well, this is kind of hot topic stuff nowadays. And they're not really being irreverent, but they're also being, it is a, it is the butt of a joke. Right. Yeah. And so you wonder like 50 years from now, what that is going to look like. I I don't know. Um, I talked to you about the whole, the whole, um, the point of the movie, which is how hard it is to track somebody that, that is becoming more and more hard to understand and recognize there's a point where he asks a guy for the time because he doesn't have a phone that has a time on it on his person like just little things like that that just you know could could deal with test of time stuff but um i personally don't have any problem suspending reality and i when i'd say that when i suspend reality for this movie i am doing it to the same extent that i do with donnie darko or lord of the rings where this is a completely foreign and different world where there is a different set of rules that just do not map to my experience. Because if I try to map it to my experience, it it's so bullshit from the beginning all the way to yeah. the end. But if I view this as Buffy or if I view this as uh, Doctor Who or some other really out there premise that does not map to reality, I still put this on and I have a pleasant, enjoyable, light, airy experience for about an hour and a half um i also recognize that there's a flood of sitcoms um and i don't know that this one actually stands out from the pack as much as it just was the one that was in the right place at the right time for me so that matters 20 years from now it probably matters today for like my kids or someone that hasn't seen this yet so i don't i'm on the fence i mean i i think it stands it'll stand up for me for the most part but I don't. I'm less confident that this one will stand the test of time, generally speaking, than I have been for any of the movies we've done so far. Because, um, I mean, I don't know how well it competes with, you know, other sitcoms from 2000, 2001, 2002. And when I look back at romance from, let's just say, the 80s, 70s, I think they're stupid. Like. I can appreciate the artistry, I can appreciate the, the the techniques, but I think the movies are stupid and I don't want to watch them. So it wouldn't surprise me if now, uh, my kids, or 10 years from now, people that haven't been born yet just don't give a shit about this movie. I totally could understand that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you mentioned some of like like the trans joke and um, not being able to track down people in that era. It's it's super dated. It's super dated. So if your kids watched it yet, yeah, it's going to feel ancient to them. Um, I called it a relic earlier, and and I feel that that's the case. But the thing with this movie is, I think it was a relic even when it came out. Isn't that remarkable? Of, You're right. Because of nine eleven, yeah, it has that old world vibe to it. Like it has a pre nine eleven like vibe. I, I think that um, post nine eleven, you know, the world is just 
it's so different and you can kind of separate like the timeline from when this ha- this event happened. <laughs> you know, things changed. Yeah. So almost immediately this movie is dated. When it was out, it was dated. <laughs> that whenever it came out, uh, I think it was released in October or something yeah. maybe. I, I looked up the release date, but um, it, it it's a relic now. It will be a relic 20 years from now. Like if your kids sat down and watched it, but even when it came out, it exists in a world that is not real is, is like I said, whimsical. And I think that's to its detriment. You're saying you don't think people will probably care about it in X amount of years. Yeah. I think that's fair assessment. I think that there's movies, romantic comedies from the eighties, like for instance, or uh, even going back as far as something like Philadelphia story, like, People are still going to watch those movies and care about them. I think this is something that I could see easily getting lost. Yeah. Um, I mean, romantic comedies are like a time a dozen. I mean, right. there, there are so many of them, um, you know, cheap and easy to make. So they pump them out and they're <laughs> cash getters. Cause like people like going to see stuff that makes them feel good. Does serendipity achieve that? Yeah, definitely. You can leave the movie feeling good. You said it's sort of like an airy mm-hmm. kind of hour and 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, in that way, whimsical is good, um, but it feels ancient. Yeah. Watching it now already, yeah. and even then, like without realizing it, I mean, I don't think my analysis is running deep when I'm on a date in in my junior year of high school <laughs> watching this or whatever. But um, it, looking back, like it was old then when it came out, so yeah, it, it's not a bad movie. Like it's it's really not. It's enjoyable. There are things to like about it. Um, I think it's probably average for me. I think it's it's something that, like, as you said, I could put on and I wouldn't actively dislike it or be like, oh, this is terrible, turn it off. But I, it's not something that I'm going to, like, seek out. Like I said, even for, like, a Christmas thing, yeah. it's not going to be the first one that comes to my mind. Like, let's throw on a Christmas movie. Right, yeah. Um, You know, on a, on a 10 scale, I'm thinking it's, like, a 6. Yeah. Because it's not a horrible movie by any means. It's a very enjoyable movie. The performances are good. Um, there's some funny stuff in there. You know, it, New York is a friend, is a magical place. Like that's I can buy into some of that stuff, but there there's some some definite weaknesses. You know, it's it's charming. It can be sweet in places, but it's also really contrived. And right. the crux of the movie, like we said before, is just so absurd, even by romantic comedy standards. I like your point that any movie you watch most of the time, you just say, like, this is a world wholly different from our own. I think that that's a good approach to take when you're watching stuff, even stuff that's supposed to be rooted in somewhat of a reality, like a romantic comedy to a certain extent. Because all romantic comedies, I think you have to suspend disbelief for all the like contrivances (laughs) and like bullshit the characters put up with. It would never happen in real life. Like, I think romantic comedies give a false sense of of what relationships are really like for people, you know, it can be very misleading to think that, that things are going to be a certain way mm-hmm. and they're, they're really not. Right. Um, but I mean, it's fluff and it's enjoyable enough fluff, I guess. I mean, it, if it came up in a group, I would not feel compelled to say like, no, that movie sucks. Right. I watch that bullshit. Yeah. I'd say like, it's perfectly fine. Turn your mind off for an hour and 30 minutes. It's short. <laughs> Um, so you could just sit, you could sit back and just watch some like people try to fall in love and reconnect and there you go. Right. Yeah. I think that's part of the longevity issue is that a six out of 10, and I agree, a six out of 10 isn't going to cut it. 
Um, I have concerns that rom-coms in general, the best in show, might not make it. Um, Because I think rom-coms in general have problems that sci-fi and fantasy don't have when it comes to longevity. Yeah. Um, No, that's a a good point, yeah. I have no problem drinking the Kool-Aid, but I wouldn't be surprised if people that didn't drink the Kool-Aid 20 years ago had trouble now. And I wouldn't be surprised if anyone that was younger than me by even five or six years and grew up in a different world than I did found this movie really hard to relate to. And, and and for those reasons, I think, you know, it probably will, will disappear. It probably already has. And I just hang on to it because I have the DVD, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, I'm not surprised there. Right. I mean, like if you, especially because a lot of the things we've watched so far have been things that were tied to formative high school years. So Mm -hmm. the Lord of the Rings that we've done and, and Donnie Darko, and then this movie too, we were in high school when it came out. So, I think the, there's some nostalgia there that, that would aid it for us. Um, but ha, like we're talking about it, it dating itself. So, you know, jumped two years later when we're freshmen in college. Well, Facebook was about. I to already be, thought it was bullshit. When I was a freshman in college, I already thought the premise of this movie was bullshit. was bullshit. Yeah. We were a year away from, from Facebook hitting our campus. So like this movie is, is dated in a way that even like a romantic comedy, maybe from the eighties isn't right. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that, that is to its detriment. Um, when you make a good point about romantic comedies in general, and that's what we've sort of been saying throughout this entire show, this entire episode, it, I mean, they really are movies. I think most of the time to just make yourself feel good for a little bit, you know, you want a specific thing out of a romantic comedy and it is the sort of turn your mind off and it is to sort of live in a whimsical world where the people do where it does work out they do right. get back together they do find each other again you don't want to watch serendipity and it not work out like <laughs> well no i don't want to see that eve dies at the golf place and then <laughs> you know it just goes downhill from there man it just right right it gets right. dark fast you know you don't want to see that if so you'd watch a drama that had romance elements in it. hallie like, offs you know, herself they... in the serendipity cafe <laughs> we do need to check on hallie y'all i just i gotta reiterate that <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a problem with the genre in general that I think that they're really forgettable movies. Um, and I, there are some that I really like and I think fondly of, and I don't think not fondly of this one. I'm not, like I said, I wouldn't, I don't hate on it and I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell people to avoid it. And maybe it would be a fun thing to recommend 20 years from now when you say like, man, if you wanted to track someone down, but you didn't know anything about them, watch Serendipity. <laughs> you know, like I could see that being like a party conversation, like yeah. with someone who hadn't seen it. Right, for sure. right, right, right. Um, to that point, as part of the conclusion, I wanted to put it to you. What are some of your favorite romantic comedies? Which ones do you recall as being top tier for you, just personally? Um, I don't know how well these hold up, but like in my mind, Love Actually, okay. The Holiday. Um, I mean, like I've put myself out there before. I'll do it again. Princess Switch is the best goddamn rom com that exists. Uh, uh, it's a what? It's a it's a Netflix. Oh, the Princess Switch. It's a yeah, Netflix yeah, yeah. Original. You, you did mention this before. I'll, That's right. Yeah. I'll, put, I'll watch that movie ten times a day and have no problems with it. Um. Oh man, I've never seen it. Now I gotta like watch it sometimes. It's so sappy, man. It's it's so good. I love it. I don't. There was an SNL skit where they made fun of that exact type of thing where. It's like meet your prince 
and they they cut to the guy. Where are you from? He goes, I don't know. I have a British accent, so vague Europe. Like they even <laughs> like that's exactly what this movie was. like. They're just they're yeah. openly mocking it, but um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like uh, there was a spell of rom coms, and I think Love Actually, Holiday, um, and, and Serendipity kind of fit that that window. Those are all sort of early two thousand right. romantic comedies, and then you yeah, and then you fast forward to today, and most of what I'm doing now is noticeably inferior uh, Netflix. <laughs> um, uh, oh well, yeah. I mean, it, the market's so different now yeah. with like the streamers, the romantic comedy genre. Again, they're easy to produce, right? And they the return on them is high. Same with horror movies; like horror movies are cheap to make, and yeah. then the return on them is high. So the investment there is. I mean, it's a it's a no brainer. It's a winner. Well, like, um, you could pump those things out. And Netflix is, I mean, it has a flood of right. of romantic comedy movies these days. But like when I sit down for a movie that's called Cabin Love, and you read the description, and it's like so and so is a city girl who had to move back to her home because her boss fired her from her job in the big city. Little does she know that the cabin has a haunted ghost who's actually going to teach her how to love again. And you're just like, right. You're like, I know that this is bullshit. I know before even pressing play this, but I'm going to press play and I'm going to eat this shit up because I need to feel good right now. Like that's, you know what I mean? That's the like hallmark, uh, Netflix, yeah. Anyway, so like the rom com, like I, I recognize that my caliber of rom com has gone down a few pegs, and I'm totally mm. fine with it. I know what I'm consuming, but like yeah. you know, I still feel like for me, Serendipity and and Love Actually and Holiday, and even for me, The Last Kiss. A lot of people don't like Zach Braff stuff, and I understand why. But like The Last Kiss was something that I always got a lot of value out of. Maybe that's more drama than rom-com. I don't know. But, um, oh, oh, um, I don't know where you'd classify. There was another one I loved from that time period called uh, Seeing Other People. Um, uh, I'm not familiar with that one, I don't think. That was uh, that was one about people who uh, decided that they were going to try to have an open relationship and see other people. And obviously shenanigans occurred. Um, of course right that's basically the list i can think of what about you what, what kind of uh, rom-coms do you uh, go to so you you went um early 2000s i sort of went in ni- a 90s direction when i was thinking about this question because i knew i wanted to ask you then of course i was like well i, I gotta write down my own and i found that for the ni- the 90s for me seemed to be what i, I was leaning to so i i think the the best or Slash my favorite might be, and I I name dropped this one earlier, but I think my best friend's wedding is mm-hmm. is maybe one of my favorites or one of the better rom coms. Um, I don't even like Julia Roberts, but uh, <laughs> I'm about to name another one from her. So like my best friend's wedding and Notting Hill, I think are both. You know, she oh. was sort of like the uh, America's sweetheart, kind of America's darling for a while there. So you love Julia Roberts? Okay, I I really, really don't. <laughs> But I like those movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so I, I think I think of my best friend's wedding when I was like really deciding what's my favorite rom com. That's probably number one. Right. Um, Notting Hill. I like. I don't know if this is straight comedy. I think it is. It might be a cheat to call it a rom com. But uh, I wrote down Clueless as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Clueless will stand the test of time. It might be more comedy though. Um, yeah. Might be it might not be fair to call it a rom com, but 
but so I'm cheating a little bit with that one. And then this one might be strictly comedy too, but there's a pretty heavy romantic element to it. I think this one could be considered a rom-com, um, The Wedding Singer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really enjoy that movie. And I, I think all of those are all 90s. Yeah. All 90s. Interesting. Movies. Yeah. So 90s is your decade. I guess so. I don't know. I I was trying to remember even my most recent like favorite one, and I couldn't even come up with anything that I've seen in the last like five years that I was that I thought was memorable as like a romantic. Comedy. I can't either. Like uh, I'm I'm the stuff that I'm consuming. I know is bullshit right now. Like I know it's bullshit, and I don't I don't care. Yeah. yeah. Lady Earnshaw wants me to sit down and watch uh, To All the Boys with her sometime. Mm. She says that that one's quality, but uh, I haven't seen it, so I'll have to judge for myself when I do. Yeah. Um. To all the boys I've loved before is that the is that the whole title? Um, it's a, it's one of those Netflix ones. I haven't um, heard of that one, but uh, okay. Well, uh, she we're we're gonna check that out at some point. But um, yeah, nothing recent. I couldn't think recent. The two thousand ones you're mentioning, I also enjoyed. I I saw Serendipity in the theaters mm-hmm. on a date. I saw Love Actually in theaters. Um, I saw The Holiday with like a group of people. Yeah. Um. And I, all those are, are very enjoyable. Right. I mean, it, you know, there's a certain, like, it, there's a nice feeling from, like, some 2000 rom-coms. Uh, warm and fuzzy feeling. You know what's interesting? I think that, like, something happened after that where I think movies, and if not movies, what I wanted from movies went in a non-rom-com direction. Like, I'm thinking about, like, where did I get that buzz after holiday for instance and i'm thinking well i remember mr mrs smith and i'm like well that's kind of like an action rom-com and then like the romance element in like uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy well that's like a sci-fi but there's also like a romantic element and i'm wondering now if like if that window gap beyond the 2000s if i just chose to fill that like rom-com need if that is such a thing in consumable media with a non rom-com specific genre. Yeah. It feels a bit like that. Like those, I don't think would fall into the confines of like the straight, like rom-com formula. Yeah, there's, no they way. Do have this, there's no way. Yeah. They do have those other elements that you're mentioning, whether it be sci-fi shade to it or whatever it is. Um, I just Googled it just now, like best rom-coms of the 2010s and the stuff they were <laughs> listing didn't even feel like rom-coms to me. Yeah. That, I don't know if that's a genre that's sort of lost steam besides like the Netflix revolution. <laughs> I remember when all these Netflix movies were coming out, like to all the boys and kissing booth and princess switch. Like I've, yes. I've seen articles on the internet where they've said like revival of rom-com rom-coms are back because it does seem like they did fade out for a bit. Right. And then Netflix has sort of brought this back to the forefront. I'll be on the lookout for any good ones, and if yeah. I if I remember any, you know, I'll I'll certainly jot that down. But it, it's hard to recall something from the recent times where I was really like bought into it and thought like, yeah, that was really that was a solid rom com. Um, I agree. That's yeah. I, never, I hadn't thought about that. That's interesting. So is this our official technical thumbs down? Right, our first official does not hold up because I'm kind of leaning that way to be honest. It feels harsh, but. If we're being impartial and we're really trying to be fair, you know, yeah, it, it feels like a thumbs sideways, <laughs> kind of slanting down. Yeah. Because it's not all crap. Like, right. we've seen crap movies. We've seen movies that'd be a zero or one on the 10 scale. Yeah. And it's it's not, it doesn't, It it's not in the, the like, dregs of just, like, all, movie awfulness. Right. Like, it's got some merit to it. There's some things there that work. We mentioned a lot of stuff we like. 
So I feel it feels harsh. I definitely don't know if it'll hold up. Yeah. I think it's safe the, to say on no. The, on the question of holding up, I think it's a no, right? That's our first, yeah, it's uh, a, our first no. It's a definite yeah. no. Yeah. Crazy. Thumbs sideways on the thumb scale. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> thumb sideways with like a wobble and it's not sure if it's going to go down more, but it's hanging in it like a sideways right now. But you're relatively so, sure it's not going to crank up. Like it's just. It's yeah. not going to go up. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not going to go up. I don't think. Well, do you have a, a movie idea for next time or you want to keep it uh, loose for now? Yeah, let's let's leave it open. I want to I want to think on it some. I do have some ideas, um, but I, I can't commit to anything just yet. I have like I sort of narrowed it down to like three. Um, but let me think on it and, and we'll just surprise our listeners next time with what we hit them with. If you were meant to say the name of the movie right now, then fate would have uh, let you know that you were meant to say the movie. So. <laughs> It's totally fine. You you know what, Ernshaw? You just write the name of that movie on the back of a $5 bill. Um, <laughs> and if it gets to my hands, then... Brilliant. <laughs> I'll know that that's what we're going to do. It'll be fine. Brilliant. Totally fine. Love it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs>